does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You know, you go through each season and, you know, you you really, a couple of things you really want to get accomplished, and that is you really want fan engagement and you want fans to be proud of this team. We look at that. We, we feel that. We want that. We want, to, we want the fans in this community to be proud. And that's really a benefit to the guys uh, on the team because when that, that arena is electric, it makes a difference. We all know that. That's, you know, something you can't hide. And I just, I, I really wanted to publicly thank them for coming in and bringing that energy because it made it, our, our, our team talked about that the whole season. I mean, it got deafening in there a couple of times uh, late in the game, and that's something that uh, we don't take for granted. That's Indiana Pacers President of Basketball Operations, Kevin Pritchard. He's held that title since May 1st, 2017, and he spoke with reporters yesterday, and it kind of surprised me. We'll get into that in just a bit. You're listening to the Fan Midday Show. Good afternoon to you. Another gorgeous day, Jimmy. Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, Scott Agnes, thanks for joining us here. But I'm digging this, and so are you. I can tell. Short sleeves, no pants, you're ready to go. <laughs> well, just to, to clarify for the YouTube audience so they can only see half of me, uh, they are they are khaki shorts or golf shorts. Uh, I thought that was implied. But, but just, to, just to clarify for the non-visual audience. Uh, no, it's look, I've turned the corner on this type of weather in around April, regardless of if it's high 40s, high 50s. You get into the 60s, 70s like we are today, oh, it's perfect Man, in the, general. This is clean living. Yeah. yeah. If is. you get over no. 70 degrees, sunny. And it makes the amazing. whole day for me. Sets the tone. Because we had it yesterday, and we talked a little bit yesterday as well about Pacers, Colts, obviously. We talked a little bit about the NBA play-in and where our anticipation was for it last night. And there's a lot of different areas that I want to attack this. But the first that I want to bring up with you, and we both agreed off air that it's still the right call. The Pacers were not in it. They are still clearly a piece away. Probably would have been meaningless, and they probably would have gotten bounced. But probably, I, I, I'm trying to be I'm trying to <laughs> try to paint paint with a little nicer brush. But last night, getting the opportunity, not so much Miami for a lot of different reasons, but I guess mainly LA, even though they're a brand name. Hearing playoff like atmosphere for the play-in game you expect it with a fan base like that but when the Pacers are playoff relevant you get that same intensity max five times ten I have memories of that action you have memories of that action I miss it I had a longing for it last night even though it would have been the play-in to have the Pacers back on this stage mm-hmm. and you and I again are in the boat it likely wouldn't have happened this year barring literally everybody staying healthy no injuries at all and a bigger leap from a couple of other core pieces. Otherwise, likely wouldn't happen for the Pacers. But I do miss it. And I was longing for it when I see a former local star, current national star in Mike Conley turning back the clock as a 35-year-old, just pretty much hitting everything last night. Icing three free throws at the end of the game to put it into OT after a horrific foul by Anthony Davis. There was enough local ties there. I was like, man, this is this is great. I'm getting into it. And there were other times where it was the ugliest display of basketball I've seen all season, and I wanted it to end. But I still 
at the end of the sentence, sure. miss Pacers playoff or play in basketball. I really do. That's totally understandable, and I completely agree. I mean, we heard Kevin, as Eddie cut together there, talk about the crowd and trying to feel that again. And I think the the front office and Rick Carlisle have made a specific effort to not only acknowledge that, but make sure fans are aware of that, um, about how they feel their presence, how they want to build something back again. Because they haven't participated in the playoffs since before COVID. Different era. You know, you look over Gainbridge Fieldhouse, it's, it feels to some extent like a very different bu- building inside especially on the lower level which in my mind's gotten more corporate and that club level is sweet i yeah. love that the club level is exactly where i would want to be if i was a fan sitting row one being able to see everything from a basketball perspective but even just walking into the lobby like the way it's more kind of open there when they don't have the curtain shut mm-hmm. like for a concert love that. when it's open i just it it does it feels like a whole new arena and so seven sellouts this year including a couple in the year, which is good, considering their circumstances. Here's where I stand with all this. Yes, I absolutely want that back. There's nothing better than not only being at playoff basketball, but covering it, the high stakes. Here in Indiana, you actually get more attention. Yeah. That goes for all. I see more people reading my stories, reading more of my coverage, following this Pacers team, national writers following up with questions and different things. So you feel that in a variety of different ways. And on top of that, that's the end game. The end game is not to just get through the season, and then go into off-season vacation. The trouble, though, and this is why it's twofold, completely agree you want that to be back, and we look forward. We long for those days, and and I'm setting the expectation as of yesterday. Actually, let's make it Monday. First day of the official off-season for the Pacers. Next year, playoffs become the expectation, and we have to hold them accountable to that because – on the other side, the flip side of that, that had not been the expectation. We all understood the bigger picture the last couple of years to undergo this rebuild. Next year will be year three of that rebuild, but that can also include the playoffs. To the broader point of inclusion here, while they would, could they could have easily been in the playoff game. Five more wins, they could have done that. You sit Tyrese, you sit Miles for the last two or three weeks. And those were seven, eight games last night. To clarify, in case you didn't watch them, that is... In the traditional format, teams that would have been playoff teams. These are not where the Pacers were chasing, which is that nine to ten range. These were seven, eight games last night. And here, and that's a whole different subject because yeah, I, I hate despise the play in. Sure, but Pacers could have easily gotten there. My trouble with all that is being realistic about their yeah. circumstances and about their chances. So they get the eighth seed. So they faced what Milwaukee, a team they've beaten once since 2018, when Giannis is out there. Are you, t- are you talking playing or are you talking broad picture? Because technically they would have had a bite at the apple against Miami last night and they could have had... Uh, I'm assuming they got past... Let's say they got past that and reached the actual playoffs that matter. Okay. So again, I'm I'm, I'm being... I don't know. Eddie, I don't Eddie care to see something. them in the play-in. I, I, I I'm trying to get it on to the playoffs. I know you are. But would the matchup have been more enticing if it was Boston-Indiana or same feel? Because that's what it would have been, right? It wouldn't have been Milwaukee. It would have been 2-7 two, two because they won. They would have had a better chance. Right. Certainly, and in, in against Boston, okay. I believe, because Milwaukee just has their number, their playing style. I haven't done the recent math, but you know, earlier this season, it was like over the last four years, they had lost like 12 in a row, yeah. excluding the one when Giannis welcomed his new kid, and it was been by an average of like 18 points. Yeah. So I was trying to be realistic. Yes, anything can happen. Sure. I get that. And they probably maybe would have snuck one game in at best. But I'm here for the bigger picture. I want to see them compete next year and go into every game maybe having a chance. And so I don't mind them sacrificing this year. Sacrificing a lot of different things. Playing time, guys sitting, guys being put in new different 
new and different roles for next year and moving forward. Because now, again, there's that expectation of more. Whereas this season, the last season, it was the expectation of establishing a culture. Check. Establishing identity. Check. Establishing a couple pillars of the organization moving forward. You got Halliburton. You got Matherin. You need to nail a draft pick this year. And then that might be your three. Or, as we very well may see, is in free agency, if the Pacers can have their way. I know they'll be active. It's just a matter as sure. it takes two to complete a deal. Then you really might have those three big pillars that they've needed. And then you go forward. And then there should be some real excitement, Jimmy, about what lies ahead. And we talk about the other avenue as well, right? Maybe they don't do it in free agency. And you're talking along that same cloth. And we talked about it yesterday as well. You nail the pick wherever it is, pick seven, pick five, whatever, whatever you end up with the lottery odds. Pick one, it'd be a dream, but we understand that the odds are stacked against any in that regard. But regardless, you nail the prospect, whoever it is. Maybe you don't go free agency because that's too tough an angle. You're unable to sell it right now because it is. It's a tough market to sell unless you're a true contender. You have those two first round picks as well in your back pocket. The other two. Right. Maybe we're executing that train that we talked about and nailing down that final piece or nailing down your true third option next year to where the expectations completely reset. Like I and I think you were in the same boat. I want to put words in your mouth, but I felt like yesterday I don't want a seven or eight play in spot next year. I would like them in the four to six range. I want them squarely in the playoffs. 100%. Again, maybe you think that's a high bar if you're a Pacers fan. Maybe you're one that oh, I wanted them to win this year because there's there's that in every fan base, right? I mean, it, they exist, even though if you look at the larger plot, likely wasn't going to be a playoff or play-in team this year. We knew they were still one more year away mm-hmm. on this rebuild. Now with another year spent in the lottery, now with another year of off-season acquisitions, yes, my range is I want four to six or better seating-wise for them when we look back 365 days from now. Let's just take a very early look of what those teams challenging will look like. Milwaukee, we all expect to be back. Boston, we all expect to be back atop the standings as well. Philly, huge question mark. I could see significant changes. I could see a new coach. I could see James Harden moving on as widely speculated. I've never been a believer in Philly and actually would like to see them Tweak that lineup substantially. Cleveland, I think we all expect them to be there. Knicks, you never know what to expect. They have the highs and the lows, right? Yeah. Two years ago, Tibbs was the coach of the year. Last year, not yeah, so much. Didn't do too much. <laughs> Got Jalen Brunson. Yep. Credit him and Julius Randle for playing quickly's ascension as well. Yep. yep. But those two playing substantial yes. amount of games. Yes. In the first place, on top of that being yeah. productive, yeah. and that's something I really value as player availability. Brooklyn is in the sixth seed. Now they have a lot of options, a lot of young, similar talent. I don't see them being that high necessarily next year. Miami is prime for a blow up. Atlanta could go either way. Really like to hire a Quinn Snyder, but that also means new ideas, new ways of going about things. And so I could see them sliding back, or I could see Quinn Snyder acquiring one talent or two and rising them up to four, five, six. Toronto seems like they're primed for some changes. Whether it's Usai Majiri and Nick Nurse, plus the whole bevy of roster options. Chicago, I don't believe. There's Point being, Jimmy, here is there's about four teams that you know are going to be there, and the rest, to me, seems wide open. Uh, the, I was going to mention in here with Atlanta, there was a report yesterday, I don't know if you saw it or not, Scott, that ownership has given the all signs go for, I don't know who their GM is, to start exploring options for Trey Young to trade him away. Which does I did it, not see that, no. Uh, I, I, I saw that last night, and because Kuzma retweeted it and was like, 
I can't believe the Hawks would let this come out, you know, when they're playing today in the play-in. But uh, if they do move on from Trey Young, I could understand why from the defensive aspect because he plays zero defense. And if you're all, if your best player is not going to play defense, then or buy into it, then how can you expect the rest of the team yeah. to buy in defensively? It's like, oh, Trey's not going to do it. Why would I do it? Okay, I, deal. I see the note now that was aggregated. And it's being reported by Kevin O'Connor. I will say we get a lot of things that are thrown out and stuck to the wall with him. So, sure. uh, I mean, I've seen that specifically with the Pacers. And- Shams did a hit last night, but I didn't see it, and it's all video. It's one of those where For they sure. want you to watch the video, of which course. I get. I understand content, yeah. but I can't see that now. It just says Trey Young's future in Atlanta. So, Yeah, and, and it wouldn't surprise me for them to consider a different route. Yeah. The thing is, it takes so it's such a challenge to get someone of that talent, at least just offensively, but he's just so one-sided. Yep. There's zero defense being played at all. And here's my bigger issue. And this is a, a view from afar. And I guess in talking to some people there, it just seems like he is not liked by teammates. You, you take a look at what we saw with Minnesota and Rudy Gobert and how all the teammates came to other guys' defense, Kyle Anderson. Yeah. And nobody tweeted out, hey, Rudy made a mistake. We love this guy. Can't wait to welcome him back. That means something to me. That is telling to me. From that interaction and in the per- perception, and also what leads to some reality, and that that I think is very much the case at Trey Young. I mean, he ran off Lloyd Pierce, he ran off Lloyd McMillan, two really good coaches, two stable coaches that can help solidify things, and both were just worn out seemingly by that situation. And and I believe Trey ran out of college coach as well. So there's the likability factor just not there for me. Is it there for you, Jimmy? So I. I haven't followed it as closely to a point that like I would feel comfortable myself. Obviously, you would because you have had those conversations. I don't feel comfortable putting a label of of, of coach killer or, or, or unlikable personality on him. Uh, there was times where and I can remember if it was two seasons ago or three seasons ago, but when he had that playoff series in the Garden and they fun. took down the Knicks, if I remember that series correctly, it, look, it was he kind of captured the national stage was what can happen for any of these teams when you're in the prime of the playoffs, when you're in those big moments, it obviously filtered out and then they've been unable to recapture that energy. I still enjoy him as a player. I, I, I pushed him to the side a little bit this year. And then I saw him last night. It's like, yeah, he has that, like the Steph Curry comparisons are insane. Right. But when you look at a small guard that can pull up from anywhere and hit, yes, if you're a draft guy, Steph's going to be the first name you put out, but it's not meant just like we talk about NFL draft comparisons. It's not meant to say this is what this guy can be. It's just, yeah, this is where his game models a little bit in terms of being a smaller guard that can sure. hit you with a hezzy and then knock down a triple and everybody's like, oh, he cooked him. I can't remember who was on the call last night with uh, uh, Ian Eagle. It might have been Chris Weber, but that's neither here nor there. Larger point, I like his game. I like electric guards like that. Are they beating Boston? This would be it's a great opportunity for him to rewrite that narrative no because way. all of the I don't think they are either. I'd be stunned. I would be stunned too. But all of the whole bad teammate like whatever chatter that might be there winning cures all. And if they're able to make some noise in this series, any trade rumors around him to me, if I'm Atlanta, I put to bed because I'd still like to ideally build around a player that I thought maybe two years ago was the face of my franchise. They have a nice young core there. Onyeko Kongwu shined a lot last night against Miami. Uh, they have Clint Capella. I mean, there, there's pieces around there where it, it can excite you if you're on the Hawks side of fandom. 
I'm not ready to name necessarily label him as a what cancerous aspect to a team. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. It just seems like the likability there's some factor smoke there. is not there. Sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, there, there's just too much no. there, quite honestly. Sure. Um, but to me, I, I look at that Atlanta roster, and, and remember, some changes in the front office, new head coach, inevitably brings changes. Whether it's a playing style, whether it's who, what you build your team around, surprise that John Collins is still there after being speculated and, and seemingly available yes. via trade for the last three years, it seems like. But let's let's actually bring it back Pacers-wise. Sure. And what we see moving forward, we know Halliburton again, and we know what ben- Benedict Matherin, how high his potential is. But to me, Jimmy, I see the biggest areas for this front office to try to go figure out is they got to go get that forward guy. That's what I asked Rick Carlisle. Define what your four man looks like. He was like, yeah, that's probably the most coveted position. Everybody is looking for that yeah. right now. Length, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, can knock down the three, athleticism. That's what they've really lacked over the last four or five years. And then my next spot would really be that three and D guy. I hate to use a comparison that hurts a little bit here for fans locally, but you need that Paul George type. Sure. The six foot eight, two way guy that can defend, can take on the biggest challenge each night, who can also score you twenty, thirty per game. And that's been one of the biggest voids around this team for since he left. Yeah. Yeah. I mean there's not you can't really point to a solution <laughs> as simple as that. since that time. There have been different wishful faces of the franchise or people that want to change what the leader of the Pacers is. I'm talking about the the brief era with Victor Oladipo where we're like, okay, this is all going to work out and now we have a, a, another franchise player this time at the shooting guard slot. We all know that ended. Now you have Tyrese Halliburton. Again, dynamic playmaker, definitely a face of the franchise, but you still have that one lingering hole and I have a hard time telling myself that's not something they're going to fail to fix this offseason. It's at the top of their board. I don't know how high in the ranking of guys that can play the four they're going to nail down or what if they're going to go execute in the draft with whatever picks available to them, depending on where the lottery goes. Sure. Uh, the Brandon Miller chatter is always going to be there, off the court issues aside. It, and and the tournament struggles, I, I still think he could be a dynamic player that could fill that role. Either way, the larger point is full buy-in, amongst the culture that Rick Carlisle has now established and deeper than just one guy fixing the taking possessions off, fixing the just overall defensive struggles that have sometimes rid their head over the back half of the season. I was talking with somebody the other day about, oh yeah, you know, I just can't watch the NBA game. There's so many points that are scored, not a ton of defense. Well, regrettably, because of how far down the rankings the Pacers were last year, if that's all you're watching, you are getting the worst of the worst of what people point to about why they don't like the NBA. You get a ton of high-fire offense, but if you're a defensive guy, you're not getting a ton of it last year. That has to be addressed across the whole roster, not just from one guy at the four. Yeah, and to that latter point, I think it's just a preference and styles because then you go the other way and it's like college basketball, there's so many offensive fouls, this low scoring, and these guys sometimes don't have a feel and there's long droughts and things like that. So Got plenty of that last night oh my in goodness. that Timberwolves-Lakers game. Yeah, or even in the first game, <laughs> yeah. Miami, a yeah. tale of two halves. Yes. First half just completely laid an egg. But yeah, to, to your point, I mean, final game, he gave up 136 points in a win. That's in large part the way in which this league is going. It doesn't mean substantial changes and upgrades can be made in that department. But outside of that, I think there's two bigger roster decisions to be had. 
I think you probably, what's it look like with Chris Duarte and Buddy Heald? A little bit of overlap. And then likewise, the same goes at center, backup center with Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. I don't think you want two young guys like that continuing to alternate. I don't think that is something that you can rely on or something you really want to deal with for another season. I think you choose one, you move forward, and and maybe a player like that could be included in a type deal along with some, some of those draft assets to go get that player that this franchise has long needed. I'm fascinated to see what happens with the decisions that are made when you make all your draft selections, you decide what you want to do in free agency, and you only have, what is it, three spots you can play with? Is that right, roster construction-wise? Right now, they have three free agents. Sorry, so, so, yes. so they have three three roster spots they can work with, and you look at names like, you mentioned him, Chris Duarte. I'm going to throw him in there, even though like I don't know that his time is necessarily done here, but I'm going to list everybody that I could not surprise me if okay. you're trying to get upgrades for. Jalen Smith, Jordan Wara, O'Shea Brissett. I understand that Smith's contract is so friendly that he's probably not going anywhere, but there's tough decisions when you look at the when you look at the depth chart, you go, not starters, but you go two and three. Where are viable upgrades and where is in-house growth that can happen with those positions? And those are the type of decisions that they're going to have to make. Like, obviously, you just acquired Jordan Wara, so you figure he'll likely be here next year. And I enjoyed, for the most part, what he was able to do when he was given an expanded role. There's obviously areas I'd like for to sure. clean up, especially on the defensive end as well. But this roster, I think, is going to look, maybe not in the starting five, but the depth there is going to have a rotation of faces, I feel like, between now and next offseason with the decisions they have to make. Yeah, and I think if they can crush it this offseason, yeah. what you could look at is for sure starters, Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Mathern, Miles Turner, and then you upgrade the three and four spot. And then you, the, the depth, the second unit looks really intriguing. Some might even include Andrew Nemhard in that starting lineup. Yeah, there's an argument to be made. I'm thinking more Andrew Nemhard with that second unit that it could also include Neesmith and Wara. And then <laughs> then then you're having real possibilities of making some noise here. And I'm wondering if, if let's say, you know, they finish with the seventh lottery pick and that's where they're selecting. Maybe that's where you go get that three and D wing guy. You got to give that guy some time. I mean, to develop. That's sure. why I think it was last draft. I was really wanting them to get Jeremy Sohan from, uh, I think he ended up about 12th. If the Pacers were able to muster up a trade, get that 10th spot, I think it was, from Washington, that's what I would have liked for them to do with that to get that kind of defensive-minded guy. But the possibilities are intriguing here, no doubt about that. You have five lottery, five picks, one in the lottery, three in the first round. No way they use all of those. But that also means there will probably be at least one trade for the franchise before the draft, which I believe is June 22nd. In New York. And so there's going to be some action. Not, there's going to be, you know, they'll probably bring in 50 different guys for these pre draft workouts. Right. You make a couple of deals and you, you try to upgrade that roster to your point, Jamie, so that this time of year they're in the conversation again. They're relevant. I think that's one thing they've struggled with nationally in the last several years is that relevancy. That's one thing they're trying to win back and get back. Get back in the conversation. And so I will tell you, I'm not sure if next year will be it, but it is so much fun when at the end of May, it's racers and it's pacers, it's overlapping. Yes. You know, fans have to decide where to spend their time. That's a good problem for people in this city to have. And particularly with all of the, the different development projects that are happening across the board, obviously, pacers, sports and entertainment, it, it currently in the process, not just of the 
now that Gamebridge Fieldhouse uh, remodel is done, but also the, the plazas that are setting up there. I mean, there, mm. there's going to be plenty of crossover and opportunities in the city where, yes, obviously, this is this is the Captain Obvious statement of the day. But yes, the Pacers want that. They want playoff basketball. They want to maximize the areas they're investing in. And regardless, I mean, they're going to be great areas for the city no matter what. But that is what people long for. I'm still in this boat, and I maybe this is a statement of ignorance, but the only way that this team is ever going to like live the dream that Pacers fans have a hard time letting themselves dream because they don't Imagining want to Imagining once again. Is, is, is getting back to a finals or, or, or hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy. And I, I know that's a big, big, big goal ask. that it, it, that will take a long time to get there, but you're reaching a point now where, okay, you've had two or three years in the lottery if you are able to, and obviously, Wimbledon would have made things a lot easier. And who knows? Maybe, maybe against all hope, the, the ping pong balls drop their way. But assuming they don't, a great opportunity for Kevin Pritchard to once again, back-to-back years, have great drafts or at a minimum, nail that first-round pick. And then you can have real conversation of they're building something special. This is a team that could be back in contention for even a trip to the NBA Finals. How about this, Jimmy? Just for the heck of it. Went to takeathon.com. All right. And clicked it one time, one simulation. I'll give it to me. And Kevin's going to love this one. Pacers jump to second and and are right behind Portland. So his old team Portland gets the number one pick. Pacers <laughs> in second. There you'd probably take Scoot Henderson, maybe a Brandon Miller. I can't imagine the fit with Brandon Miller here. But anyway, that that's yep. that's a, a significant scenario that you would love right there. Um, then you they have the uh, pick at will be twenty five twenty six from Cleveland, and then they also have the 29th pick from Boston. So as I started talking about the weather, you can see here, I think with each of the different franchises, Jimmy, that brighter days are ahead. Fever, get the top overall pick. The infusion of youth, I think 15 of 19 players yep. that will go into camp, at least as of today, First and second year players. Pacers, you're coming off a high season where they beat expectations by 10 wins. But Tyrese put it well. He goes 20, going from 25 to 35 wins, honestly not that difficult. Going from 35 wins to 50, that's hard. That's really difficult. So that's that next level here that this Pacers team, and with, led by Tyrese, will have to, to try to make that jump. And then over to West 56th Street. I think there remains so many questions and we'll absolutely get into it on this show because it's not so direct because they're missing the piece, that quarterback position, yeah. and they're in a draft position that's less than less than ideal because there's not a lot of clarity right now. And it's so funny that just if you were the Pacers and you got the four spot, again, you wouldn't have the opportunity to go take Scoot Henderson or Victor Wembanyama, but... In the NBA, it feels like, oh, a top four pick, that's that's marvelous. That's wonderful. We can get right where we want to go and find the need that we need right. to address. Conversely, you look at the Colts with the fourth pick, and yeah, there's all this high-stakes drama of, is there really a solution to, to fix the problems that we have? Is there really a true franchise quarterback there? Same draft position, two different <laughs> sports, obviously multiple different needs across those sports, but we get a larger conversation. I know we'll dive into this a little next segment as well, but... We talk all the time about how there's struggles in this market, collegiately and professionally, of fan bases that want success so bad. And for a lot of, particularly Colts fans, 
probably darkest era of most of their lifetimes of Colts football. Like that's not a big leap to. It's actually to go not. And say no. that. Think about all those kids going through high school right now, born in what or after two thousand. I'm thinking of those post two thousand kids, right? Sure. They'd be twenty two, twenty one. So even a little bit later on after that, yeah. They all they know is they probably know Peyton better as a pitch man now that I think about it. Think about it. those guys are twenty two, twenty three. Ignore yeah. the first eight to ten years. I, I guess I'm, and, and this bugs Colts fans, but just zooming out for a second. Yep. And we're not going to dive into because everybody hates talking about it, but the Andrew Luck thing and his retirement, there's an alternate universe where that doesn't happen. And this is a franchise that, much like the Packers with, and I know this is a big leap to say Manning and Luck to Rodgers and far no but, but that's, that's what it is we, that's that is what, it, what was it is and what we all expected and, and so i guess i'm grouping in those 22 23 year olds to the luck era because gotcha. you still have the same feeling and now here you are you don't have that answer it's been multiple years where ah you put the band-aid on it and it's fine but all of a sudden you get yourself talked back into hope rather quickly with both these franchises because of the way the draft and the lotteries are stacked together there's no lottery in the nfl but you get what i mean draft day <laughs> is in 15 days and then a month after that, the NBA draft lottery occurs. And then a month after that, it's NBA draft. So if your fan base is of both the local teams here in town, you are on the edge of your seat with anticipation of, we want to have a cornerstone draft. We want to be able to continue to add and get us back to what we grew up knowing, which is the idea of contention, the idea of this hope and optimism that has been absent from the last couple of years. Again, there's no guarantee that the Colts actually give you that. Particularly if they take Will Levis, but it's just it, it, it's, it's, commentary. It's, it's the it's the it's the boat that we're in right now. The mixture of fear and anticipation that makes this season, yeah. while you'd rather be winning, so intriguing if you're on the outside of those postseason standings. And the way in which you build a team in those leagues are drastically yeah. different yeah. too, because of the fact that the NBA one guy can carry you a lot more. Yes, whereas NFL. It's funny because you need that quarterback outside of QB. Yeah, that that no, is the one example. Even at that quarterback, it, you don't have a chance if you don't have that quarterback. Right. But it's not like he's playing special teams and Correct. defense. Correct. Therefore, he can't single-handedly carry you to a win like LeBron or like sure. Steph or someone like that. A a Hall of Fame game changer type. And honestly, one thing I wonder about is: Do the Pacers need the guy that can get you forty any night? I'm not saying every night. But the guy that has the ability when asked upon, to go yeah. off, all right, tonight we need it. He got 45. I think Tyrese can like once or twice a year. I'm not sure if Matherin can. Still very young. Still. Well, I gave, so you my, young. I gave you my optimism and hope yesterday for him, right? You look at, and I, I know he'd have to be on the higher end of this scale, mm-hmm. but if you look at franchise dominant players, if he fits into my middle mold of somewhere between Danny Granger and Paul George, that is the type of prototype that, yes, could go get you 30, 35, 40 a night if asked upon if you need it. Maybe that's not Benedict Matherin. Maybe it's a prospect in this year's draft. But yeah, I would absolutely love to have one of those guys. I don't know if it's a have to have it, but it makes things a lot easier. It does. And that's what these franchises are all after. Aaliyah Boston <laughs> with the fever. They take care of that. Pacers, we'll see what direction uh, they'll ultimately go with. Coming up on the show, 1 o'clock, Dan Purcell. NBA Summer League Sports Business Classroom. A former NBA executive talks... NBA with us, and at 2 o'clock we'll hear from J.J. Stankovitz, Colts.com, about what else? The draft, but also some roster makeup, and there's some action going on right now. West 56th Street, I believe Shane Steichen set to talk with the media here today, so we'll get plenty of updates. One player having his contract restructured. Why might that be? 
There's always a reason for those type of things. So we can dive into that a little bit more. Um, so many things to hit on at this time of year, though, that it makes it for that fun conversation. But the draft is, I think, still the center of conversation, mainly, Jimmy, though, just because we see how much NFL dominates the sports calendar. I mean, it's all that's on the pulse right now. Like, the, like I still have an interest in the play, and as a big NBA fan, I still have an interest in the playoffs and what the Pacers do draft-wise, but the king is the king for a reason. And, in fact, we'll probably dive in a little bit next segment regarding that specific contract restructure in case you didn't see it today and maybe what that means, if anything, moving forward. Yeah, let's do that. You're listening to the Fan Midday Show. Beautiful afternoon here in downtown Indianapolis. With Jimmy Cook, I'm Scott Agnes. We'll take time out and come back here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The great Eddie Garrison bringing out some classics. A throwback <laughs> to the early 2000s here. You're listening to The Fan Midday Show on 107.5 and 93.5 The Fan. But earlier today, Jimmy, you were teasing a player's contract has been amended might potentially and presumably leads to something. What is that? So DeForest Buckner and the Colts able to have a restructure. This from Tom Pelissero that they converted $5 million of his salary this season into a signing bonus. Clears about $2.5 million in cap space. So he's still going to make just under $20 million next season, but it, it obviously increases the amount of money that the Colts have available to spend and, the bigger outlier there of does it matter? Does it really do anything? Are they willing to spend roughly $22 million in salary cap space? And for me, I've been asking for this since free agency started is why not open up the checkbook? Why not try to address some needs before the draft? The clear ones that aren't quarterback related, cornerback and wide receiver, The market is relatively thin in both those areas, and you can make an argument both the corners I'm about to mention are either past their prime or might not fit the scheme, but I'm just trying to give a reference of what is out there right now in terms of available unrestricted free agents. This from SportTrack.com, Shaquille Griffin, Marcus Peters, Eli Apple, Kyle Fuller, just a couple of the names that are still there. Again, that's not diving into how they would fit with Gus Bradley's scheme. That's just diving into what you're dealing with. Rocky Asin's been brought up before. I don't know if that's necessarily a, a path the Colts want to go back down, <laughs> right. but that is the kind of rock and a hard place the Colts find themselves in with a restructure like this, because it's going to get the conversation back moving of, okay, there's available cap space. Why hang on to it? Obviously you're going to have to budget some for your rookie contracts, but that still leaves you plenty left over to go spend. If you want to, why not address some of these needs? Before the draft arrives, maybe it's too late. Maybe you don't like what's out there with available free agents, but it's a conversation worth having because do you want a rookie out there at corner or do you want a proven veteran to stabilize your need going into 2023? Yeah, and on this amendment, the key thing to know is nothing changes in its total value. What it's simply doing is basically grabbing cap space from the future and getting an advance on it so you could potentially use it here. Here's the challenge I I see the Colts faced with, though, as we stand right now, is how aggressive should you be, can you be, when you still have big question mark at quarterback that kind of leads the way. It's the point guard of what you're trying to do here this offseason. And based on whomever that guy is, I think directly impacts how aggressive you can and should be. 
Because it goes back to what I've been saying about the Pacers for years right now is, yes, the Pacers have had some free cap space. That's one reason they were able to sign Miles Turner to a special deal is because that available cap space. Yes, they technically could have gone over the salary cap and gone into the luxury tax. But to lose and not be in the playoffs, that makes no sense. To So then for the Colts here, yes, you have some more available cap space here. But you want to use it in the right way to build the, out this roster. And I need to see who that quarterback is before I want to make a sizable um, investment. What it suggests, and I think it was Mike Chappell who noted it as well, and we see it so often with Chris Ballard at the Colts to his credit, is he so often likes to reward one of their own. Sure. So it presumably sets up, if anything, of a long-term extension with one of their own guys. I'd like to also point out that we get so caught up in the fact that they have yet to make many moves in free agency, but after that second week of free agency, no NFL team really makes moves because of the NFL draft. Now, you'll see some guys hold out. I know that happened with Justin Houston a couple years ago. Uh, he didn't sign anywhere prior to the dra- or previous to the draft because uh, he wanted to wait and see what teams needed his services uh, after the draft, so he waited, and then he signed, I think, with Baltimore after that. I don't know if he signed back with Indy. I, I can't fully remember, but it was either one of those two. And then when you look at how Chris Ballard also operates, you look at Rodney McLeod, and he was a post-draft signing last year, uh, I believe, for the Indianapolis Colts. And right now in that secondary, they don't really have a veteran voice in that part of the room unless you consider Kenny Moore a veteran for that secondary. Other than that, it's a lot of young guys. So I could see them going that route if they don't go in the draft with a cornerback in the early second or in the third round because it's a relatively deep cornerback and defensive back class, as Charles Davis alluded to yesterday on the show. So that's kind of like where my thinking is right now with this Indianapolis Colts team and how Chris Ballard likes to operate. I don't disagree with any of that. My only... And it's, I guess a caveat to it is this is the opposite of how Chris Ballard thinks. He has shown that he he likes to get what he can out of his wide receiver room. And he's not always willing to, to go out and spend. And maybe you can make the argument, well, they didn't need to do it at wide receiver because they were behind schedule they wanted to be last year. Or maybe you were unhappy with the quarterback room. And we could get a full evaluation of guys like Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce because of us tying their hands behind their back and giving them quarterbacks that were subpar in back-to-back seasons, I still look at the idea of starting a quarterback week one or week four that you take at pick four. Again, removing the idea of trading up. They stay at four, and just for the sake of each camp being happy, Levis and Richardson are both there. Regardless of which one you take, just playing out that scenario, if you plan on doing what you suggested yesterday, Scott, which is Minshew's not going to be playing in your mind past week six or week seven, I want as many weapons as possible to complement said quarterback in the offense. You need big leaps out of your tight end room this offseason, assuming you don't address it in the draft. And then you look at the wide receiver room. Michael Pittman Jr., I've always viewed as a very solid, high-level wide receiver two, not a game-wrecking wide receiver one. I want that addressed during this draft, but because they have the need of corner and wide receiver, you go to the second round, Where's Chris Bauer going to go? Get best available corner that's there? Or does he go wide receiver because this cornerback class is talked about being so deep the further you get into the draft? I would go wide receiver because I'm an offensive-minded guy. I like just like the fun, fancy toys. Have we not seen that's the route that wins right now? Yes. Especially in the AFC. And the you defense, they did it last year. They did get Alec Pierce. Yeah. But again, 
he's still a project. You don't know what he's going to be. I think that I think actually we're seeing this at all different levels, right? We talk about the NBA, how scoring is way up this year. We see it in in the NFL. Like the biggest challenge for the Colts among many was they couldn't score 25 points a game, 24 points a game. I bet if you look back, they would have won three or four more games if they just scored 24 points per game rather than 10, rather than 13. Yeah. Averaging, what, less than 17 points per game? That's the argument for those that are very excited about the Matt Gay signing, getting the kicker situation fully cleared up. And having I'm one of those. That, that is that, hey, if you change a couple of those games and they're, they're made kicks or you're able to, instead of maybe punting or, or going for it in a situation, now you can kick a 50-yarder with confidence, maybe those results are different last year. I don't think it changes the larger issue of they're still not making an AFC championship game, but it, it, it at least gives you confidence in one specific area and opens up what you can do from an offensive standpoint instead of having to roll the dice or instead of not being as aggressive as you'd like to be. It is so nice, I would imagine, as a head coach to have one less thing to worry about. Yeah. And that is a huge one less thing to worry about. Forget the money. I mean, so what? Sometimes you do need to splurge to check off that box, and I have no problem with that. It was so great for those, what, 10 years that essentially every time Adam Vinatieri took the field. You can go get a snack. You're good. You don't All right, worry about it. Time for a restroom break. <laughs> exactly. 47. Yep. Exactly. 51. Yep. 22. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that last year, but outside of that, yeah, check that off. Move on. And I mean, it was the first game of the season this year. They would have won if they yep. had a kicker. Just that alone. So um, I, I was pleasantly surprised to see them be that aggressive in doing so. And, and it worked out, I think, for both sides because of what the we're seeing out rest, what the Rams are trying to do and kind of rebuild and go about things in a different way and some guys are trying to go elsewhere and have more success there and that's why I kind of bang on the drum so aggressively for offensive weapons because look even if I am team Anthony Richardson on this path and don't worry we'll get to more quarterback conversations as the day goes on I promise you that but even if I am team Richardson I have plenty of family members and friends that are Colts fans I want to see the city succeed if they take Will Levis I'm not going to be actively rooting for his failure but I will definitely critique and criticize the front office if they're not doing enough to set up said quarterback for success. And whether you want to point to the offensive line, there are conflicting opinions on what type of offensive line is going to show up this season versus what you had last season. If Ron Ryman's able to make a, a big leap and is really the left tackle they're trusting there, uh, how in general in the trenches are things flowing? Is everybody staying healthy? Maybe that's not as big a concern as people want it to be, even though I think it is. I still would rather have weapons there to complement what's going on. And on top of that, I want to keep offenses guessing. Because if you're having a bounce back year from Jonathan Taylor, he is as good, if not the best, running back in the National Football League when he's healthy and when he's able to kind of dictate the way a game is being played. You give weapons around Levis or Richardson or Minshew early on in the season, you're able to take pressure off of what Jonathan Taylor is going to impact said game because they're not able to just key on him. One thing I've found interesting through all this is some of those quarterbacks, like Levis and Richardson in particular, are visiting with teams that are not in the top four. Yes. I saw today Levis visiting the Bucks. He visited the Titans. Richardson visited the Raiders. That, that's interesting to me. That suggests either a team's willing to trade up or a team is doing their due diligence for the fall. For the chance that, right. and maybe we should get into this next hour, but what happens if... Chris Ballard sitting there is like, you know what? We do need a quarterback, but this is not it. This is not the time. What route should they go? Because then things get really interesting there. And I wonder 
if Colts fans would be able to tolerate it, even if it is the right move in the long term. It's an unfair bar to set for any general manager, but, and you know what, we'll actually, we'll, we'll step aside and I want to, we'll, we'll dive in <laughs> to what that bar is and why it's unfair to set it on Chris Ballard, but why you kind of have to with the fourth overall pick. Scott Agnes, I'm Jimmy Cook, we'll dive into that. Around the corner, plus Dan Purcell and J.D. Stankovitz, still to come on the Fan Midday Show. It's 2000s flavor all around. I know that doesn't do anything for the YouTube audience or the podcast uh, audience because we don't have the YouTube. Um, but a little skater boy going on there. Good work there by Eddie Garrison. We teased going to break the bar that is unfair to set on Chris Boward, but that what is set on any general manager when you're talking about taking a swing at a franchise quarterback. And it's something that Colts fans and Colts pundits need to ponder because you brought up the idea that I've kind of been pushing a little bit just to prepare Colts fans in case it happens, which is, what if Bauer doesn't like what's available to him at four? And in my mind, if I'm Chris Bauer, I'm inflecting Jimmy Cook's opinions to Chris Bauer's draft room right now, good or bad. I want Anthony Richardson. Oh, no. Somebody's traded up to take him at three. Sure. He's gone. It's the Raiders. It's the Raiders. And now it's Will Levis or another position player or trading back. And I know Colts fans don't want to hear that. And I know that Jim Irsay wants to figure out the quarterback right now. But between Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard, the bar that I'm setting on them, that again, isn't fair, but it, it's the way it goes. You're not just looking at what the prospect could be. You are trying to sim out what their career is going to be, what they're going to look like five years from now. And just because you have a high-end pick, if you don't Look, I'm looking at Will Levis because I would rather have Richardson. But if you want to change that and say it's Richardson that you don't want and he's there at four, you have to look at that prospect, what he can be in Shane Steichen's system, what he can be in this league. And if your answer is Mac Jones, or if your answer is his ceiling is Josh Rosen, <laughs> you don't take him. Wow. And, I'm, and, and again, I'm being a little aggressive there towards Levis or Richardson, but if that is the thought process... You go take the generational defensive piece or you go trade back and either take a swing on Hendon Hooker just as a rebuild or a a, a recovery project rather, or you go take what's best available at that point. Because if you take it now, it is short-term happiness. Everybody's excited about it and renewed optimism because we finally got the young guy. And in three or four years, if he doesn't pan out and he is Mark Sanchez, or just, you know, just think of a quarterback that I know he went to two AFC championship games, but it wasn't really him as much as it was the completeness of the team. If he's not a franchise guy, Ballard's out of a job, the fan base is irate, and we're back to square one. Now, I know that's the gamble of the draft, but all this talk of how they have to take a rookie quarterback this year, I agree, unless you don't like what's left. They said they didn't have to trade up to one because they thought they could still get their guy at four. Unless their guy is Will Levis, and it's Anthony Richardson, and he's not there, you don't just take Levis for the sake of, ah, we finally got a rookie QB. But here's the thing. What did I mention yesterday? How much everybody seemingly wants, just step up to the plate and take a swing at sure. somebody. Because you can't keep kicking this down the road time and time again, like they have for six years, it's felt like. Sure. Four different iterations. Isn't this going to be the eighth different it's not It's not year. great, yes. With a different it's starting quarterback week one. It's not great. Just because it's doesn't, yeah. Even though you may not have strong convictions about it, you may need to do it. Now, that said, if you don't, 
because I don't believe they're ready to win next year, meaning win big. They aren't. Uh, uh, you, you don't need yeah. to say I don't. Th- okay. I'll, I'll, they're I'll not go ready. To, they're, there they, you go. No. Because of that, I would be more inclined to trade back and build up your assets, build up the closet full of guys who can compete and that need a year under their belt and then are ready to take off here in two or three years when you're ready to be in that conversation once again. I'd be more inclined to go that way. And again, to clarify the statement, because I'm sure the, the YouTube chat in general is eating us alive or eating me no, alive. No, that with never this. happens. Yeah, it never happens it? ever. Again, I'm not saying that they can't take a quarterback. And I'm not saying that maybe they take Will Levis and he pans out. And his high-end ceiling is is better than the, the bad examples I've given. Maybe he turns into a, a true franchise-altering quarterback. All I'm saying is this conversation that they finally have to take a swing, I don't disagree with it, but if it's wrong and Bauer doesn't believe it, it's your job as a general manager to do all you can to your owner and your head coach to say, I don't like this guy. I don't think he's going to pan out for us. And if you get overruled, that's life. All you have to do is do your job as a general manager. If the owner says, nah, we're taking a quarterback for the same reasons you outlined, we're tired of kicking the can Doesn't down the line. Doesn't seem like it's going we're that tired way. Of, yeah, it does. <laughs> no, it does. Everything that's being said right now Enough is already they're going to take a QB at yeah. four. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm as confident. I'm trying to look at it from another perspective. But yes, if you gave me true serum right now and asked me, what do I think happens at four? Yes, they take Levis or Richardson. I have paused, though, for one of those prospects. And all I'm saying is, if Boward has the same of either one, Richardson or Levis, I would rather trade back or address another key need than just take one for the sake of taking one. Here's here's an idea for the Colts and their great documentary department. <laughs> How fascinating would it be to have like Ballard for like one day each week leading up to the draft here? To go through Twitter and read fan comments about a player, a scenario, listen to local radio briefly, and give his thoughts that moment, and then to be able to look back at it. I, I, I've always thought it'd be fascinating to be someone inside that room and to listen to the outside noise and what is being said and seeing how, how much, if at all, it matches up to that conversation internally. I, I think that would be, I think it would be hilarious if I'm Chris Ballard to to tune into podcasts and radio and jump on Twitter for five minutes after you just spent all day having the same conversations at work with those who have the intel, who have binders of info in all this. That'd be fascinating. Well, you're going to have somewhat of an in in that regard because coming up at 2 o'clock, there you go. J.D. Stankovitzcolts.com is going to join us. You, you could pitch that to him. I'm sure he <laughs> loves, in general, any off-season ideas that you can flow his way. I don't know what type of commission cut you're going to get for that, but, I mean, you know, you could you could try to work something out there with J.D. Maybe a line in the credits. <laughs> Maybe you can take the Kevin punch Connors. card, Jimmy. The what? The punch card. Maybe you can take the punch oh, card. Oh, the punch card. So, uh, to open that behind the curtain for the audience. We have a running <laughs> joke with JJ that uh, we have a, a sandwich card for an undisclosed sandwich location where he gets a punch card whenever he comes on the show. So maybe, maybe you can get one of those punches. Maybe you can get closer to a, it started, a free deli sub. Can I get a punch st- card too? <laughs> it started on the way too early pregame show. It's, yeah, it started with the way too early pregame show when okay. we're on 6 to 8 a.m. It, it was a joke that we get him like it was a coffee punch card or something like sure. that. Because yeah. God bless him for getting up that early to, to talk Colts football and Particularly with a house of children. That's not, not an easy task. So we'll definitely talk to him. You can pitch that idea, and also we can just get his thoughts on 
He just had his latest mock draft Monday this past week. We'll kind of get an angle of, of what he's hearing, but also where he feels the biggest needs for this Colts team outside of quarterback will be addressed. That's coming up at two o'clock. But additionally, coming up here in about what are we at? about four minutes or so of a conversation with Dan Purcell, former front office executive with the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, currently the director of scouting at Sports Business Classroom out at Summer League. This will be a great opportunity to kind of pen his mind for what he sees across the board with the upcoming free agent market, what he sees out of this draft class. And of course, we'll dive into the NBA play in action last night. I love that you and I are having the jokes about it, not counting for anything, but not only that last night. And I know that you were asleep because I, you know, am a glutton for punishment and I wanted to stay up for the whole game. Oh, I was not asleep. I am a night bed. Okay. Oh no. Sorry. I misunderstood you earlier. Okay. So I stayed up for inside the NBA as well. And I love, Charles and Kenny and Shaq and I'm team Ernie. Charles with what he had to say last night. We'll dive into that as the show goes on. But the point I was talking about is did if, if the game really happened, is this really a post game show? Because because, you know, they don't count the stats. <laughs> it's all a running gag for sure amongst the play in tournament. But we'll dive into that with Dan Purcell around the corner. Again, former front office executive, a part of the New Orleans Pelicans and currently with the sports business classroom on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. This is the Fan Midday Show, top of the hour in the DriveHuber.com studios. Along with Scott Agnes, I am Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison guiding us through the afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us. We shifted our conversation around from Pacers to Colts. Now we'll go back to Pacers as well as big picture NBA with our next guest, Dan Purcell. Nice enough to take some time with us, former front office executive with the New Orleans Pelicans and current director of scouting for the sports business classroom. Dan, always good to hear from you. How are you doing on a beautiful Wednesday? At least it's beautiful here. Is it beautiful where you are? That's a better question. <laughs> Absolutely. It is. Jimmy, how are you? It's been too long, man. Doing great. I'm glad to have you on. I know that you were heavily engaged as well with last night's play-in game games rather with the Heat and the Hawks and the Timberwolves and the Lakers. I would like to start there with you and I want to start first with a little local flavor for us, albeit a a local flavor of distant past. Losing effort for him, but Mike Conley basically turning back the clock last night for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, The only, I guess, positive uh, outside of that trade that they made with Utah kind of shining bright last night at uh, Crypto.com, aka Staples, last night. For you, when you look at players that are able to kind of have the resurgence in moments like that, you look at Conley's career arc, what stands out to you the most about and his ability to still have a night like he did last night, albeit in a losing effort to the Lakers? I think he's just Mr. Reliable. If you remember him with Memphis, he was always that guy they were looking to take take the last shot. He was always the guy that, that was steadying the ship, and he's a big game player. That's That's who he is. And I think that what it showed last night, he's still got some left in the tank. He's 35, had a lot of injury issues. But when it comes to, uh, you know, if you want to win a basketball game, he's a great guy to have on that team. And, you know, I, I, I never like looking in the past, you know, in the, near, in the near past, but, you know, he's a much better fit for them than, than D'Angelo Russell was. And I think that was on full display last night. Talking with Dan Purcell here. I'm curious your your belief in this play-in tournament. I'm one that much rather have the regular season extended rather than this. And also, why so much should be put into one or two games here at the end of the season versus a full 82-game schedule and, and having those teams given that amount of time to qualify like in old times to the playoffs? Yeah, I, I, I actually enjoy the plan. I think it gives a little more spotlight to the league. And anything that, that you can put spotlight on and get eyes on, 
is probably going to be a better product as long as it's more competitive, right? And I think that's the biggest thing when it comes to the play. And I, I get I get where people go with the, you know, if you want to expand the regular season and whatnot, but I think this plan has been really successful in terms of it's giving that upset mentality, that, that March Madness feel to the NBA that it lacks a lot of the times. And we all know how successful March Madness is with the single elimination games and whatnot. And I, I actually think it's a really good um, – it's a really good extra to the playoffs. Dan, to that same end, I'm constantly getting into either debates or just friendly conversations with basketball fans that have that love for March Madness, but then they turn over to the NBA and they see it's tough in this market right now when they see the Pacers and on a regular basis, the offense is you know just flavorful and very exciting, but the defense leaves a lot to leave desired. They're giving up, you know, Almost an average of 130 points over the final month of the season uh, here in you know extending March to April. When you look at the difference, the jarring difference between the regular season and the leap to the intensity you see in the playoffs, as you've seen the adjustments the league has made, is that ever getting fixed or is it more the just kind of acceptance by the league that there's just going to be nights where either plays are being taken off or guys are managing their bodies is there a solution there in your mind or have they done all they can i think as of right now with the way the rules stand and the way that they put in play in tournaments and whatnot you know and of course with the new cba they're going to have in-season tournaments as well so they're going to try to curtail that as well even more um you know it's 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 we're just kind of at a crossroads in, in the culmination of the last 10 years of you know, load management and, you know, finding different ways to preserve your key players. And, you know, the last thing you ever want is for your best player to get injured and he's out for the season and you're sitting there like the, you know, like the uh, San Antonio Spurs were with with uh, David Robinson, you know. He, I think he tore his ACL and he was out. I think that was 1999. And they were lucky enough to get Tim Duncan, but that's not always the case. So, you know, it's it's a tough, it's it's a really gray area, but I do like how the league has pushed this and pushed this extra, um, you know, the extra games in there, but also how they've leveled out the bottoming of the draft as well. So I think the league has done a really good job with it. It's just a matter of we'll see how it works out. Really, we need more data, probably two to three more years of it before we really see is it helping or is it hurting Dan, what are some storylines that you're most intrigued with or, or guys you're fascinated to see on this bigger stage now as the playoffs begin this upcoming weekend? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge believer. I, I hate betting against the Golden State Warriors, right? And Andrew Wiggins coming back is going to be huge for them. It sets, it sets a different level for them defensively. You know, and if they do end up, and they have a very favorable field ahead of them, not saying that Sacramento is a walkover by any means, or if they get into the second round versus Memphis or the Lakers, that that's going to be a walkthrough at all. That's not, that's not it. It's just their path has gotten so clear, and they've added such a key piece to their team moving forward. I think that's the key to this whole playoffs will be Andrew Wiggins, at least out in the West. And in the East, is, it, is Milwaukee deep enough? You know, they, they really work on – those story that that storyline of you know Milwaukee's good they have the best record now they have home court advantage can they beat Boston in a seven game series I mean that's what I'm looking at um, so the key for the the two key storylines I'm looking back looking on is Andrew Wiggins obviously returning and then can Milwaukee get over that Boston hump because Boston looks really really good Dan 
I kind of was drinking a little bit of Kool-Aid last week as well. I'm not trying to say that you were, but about, oh, <laughs> 12 hours before last night's at times atrocious playing game between the Lakers and the Timberwolves, you had tweeted out that you wouldn't be surprised if you could see Grizz and Lakers going seven games. And again, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not even saying like that, that yeah. that was an insane thought because a lot of people felt that way. I thought maybe it could get pushed there as well. And then I look last night and I know they're going to get five days off or whatever it is to rest, but both those teams, LA and Minnesota looked absolutely dead in the middle portions of that fourth quarter into overtime is it still a compelling series to you? And is it something that is extended or do you think this is a, a gentleman's sweep perhaps for the Grizzlies? No, I, I think this is going to be quite, I think this series is lining up to be one of the best of the playoffs. Now that, that's in my estimation. Sure. I, and my main thoughts for that are the front line of the Grizzlies has been so decimated, right? And you're now going up against arguably the greatest player ever. You have a top 75 player ever. And they're starting to really mesh now that the bench for the Lakers has really pushed through. I mean, they're 18, well, they're 19 and 8 now since the trade deadline. So they're, I think they're first in differential, from what I remember and whatnot. It's, it's in point differential. It's yeah. like these guys, even though they, it didn't look great last night, I'll be honest with you, it did not look great. And I am not on the Lakers bandwagon saying right. that they're this great team or anything. But I do think with the issues Memphis has been having, I'm not sure that that front court depth of theirs is going to be there. And, and Brandon Clark's a huge part of that. And they've been playing without him, and they've been getting by. But now you lose Steven Adams on top of it. And to me, it's going to be really, really hard to match up with Anthony Davis. And if they go small, I'm not sure, I'm not sure who's guarding who. I'm not sure who's, where are the matchups that, other than John Morant, where is Memphis winning matchups? Because in, in the playoffs, games slow down. Possessions are much more valuable, and you have to win your individual matchups, right? The guy who's guarding you, you have to make a, be either make, be the playmaker or you have to be the scorer. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Memphis adapts to the Lakers and their size and their strength and their skill, and now their depth. I'm talking about Dan Purcell, Sports Business Classroom, former NBA exec, and you're exactly right, Dan. One of the first things I go to is how team has been playing, and secondly, who has the best roster? Who, you know, if you took combine the rosters, who has the best players among those? Because talent wins out, and obviously health matters with this team. But it's setting up. You teased at the beginning how much you like the Warriors, and assuming Wiggins is back and able to play at his level again, the fact that they don't have to face the Nuggets or the Suns until huge. potentially that Western Conference Finals is huge. How about how about they also don't have to face a healthy Clippers team? Let's not forget if the Clippers are at full strength, they are a they're yeah. a contender to win the whole thing, right? So they they've gone by the four teams really. They don't have to play the four any of those four teams until the Western Conference Finals, and by that time, that's three weeks from now. Wiggins should be in pretty good shape, even if you know you have to get in game shape, obviously. But you're two to three weeks down, and barring any other injuries, they're looking really good going into the Western Conference Finals. The only thing I would draw back there is, at least personally, I've I've never been a believer in the Sixers team. I've never been a believer in this Clippers team. There's just the dynamics, the health, yeah. the combinations. I, I don't even include them in that conversation because we've never seen it. Yeah, I'm, I, I am not. I love Joel Embiid. I am not. I'm not. Super high on the Sixers myself. If we're going to move to the Eastern Conference there, not super high on, on the Sixers. Dan. Not sure they can beat Boston. 
that's it's a good point too. That that, that would be nope. a, a compelling series if it, if it matches up that way, and and all the stars line in terms of the way the Eastern Conference rolls out. I, I want to get as we roll on in a second, Dan. Uh, your thoughts to kind of maybe get me a little bit more hyped and and get Scott maybe a little bit more on board for tonight's play in matchup. Even though I think it, is it really going to sell it to Scott? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. But. I want to first look at the Pacers for a second because you Memphis you mentioned the Memphis Grizzlies and you look in terms of market construction, you look at the type of setup that both Memphis and Indiana have as a whole. It, similar blueprints for success in that if you don't succeed and nail it in the draft, you're not going to be able to build towards anything truly special. Obviously, John Morant is a one-of-a-kind talent and even I think the biggest of Pacers fans would probably look at the best player on the Pacers right now, the most electric one in Tyrese Halliburton, say, I, I don't know if he's necessarily Jaws level, but he is a face of a franchise here in Indy. When you look at the Pacers, Scott and I were talking about it. You'd like to have, ideally, a, another another two-way piece and finally getting somebody at the four that is able to draw a top assignment on the nightly basis, also have a guy that can go out and get you 25, 30, 40 points a game when asked upon. How difficult is that in this upcoming free agency class slash with what the assets the Pacers have, wherever their top pick is, plus two additional first-rounders, when you look at their roster right now, how difficult would it be to have them on the right path to a 4, 5, or 6 spot next year in the East? Yeah, we talked about this, if you remember, uh, around the draft and post-draft yep. years. You, you asked me what my outlook was for them. What, where, where, what's the plan for them, right? And they actually stuck to that plan that we talked about pretty well. I thought so. You know, letting Halliburton and, and Matherin really start to bloom and, you know, find their own way in this league. And I think they did that. So that's mission accomplished right there to me. Yeah. Um, I still think Rick is a great coach. I think Rick's doing a, a really good job with this group that he had. Um, I don't think it's going to be that hard to address issues, but it's a, it's a two-prong attack for me. One, are we, which way are we going? Are we still saying we're trying to get into this now? Are we going to be... Or are we going to go the Houston route where, okay, you know, we've gone years now of not winning games, and at some point the young assets we have have to start showing progress and moving, right? So which way are we going in that sense? If, if they want to, I guess, speed up their process, if they think it's speeding up, then yes, you can get that in this draft, especially where they land in the, in the lottery. I'll be interested to see where that goes. And I'll have more on that. Obviously, we'll talk yeah, about that no closer to the draft, the individual names, But because once we see where everybody drops. But I do think that you can address a lot of their stuff. If you, if you do need a big – there's a lot of bigs in this draft that are going to be very, very good players, especially in the second round. There's going to be some guys that you might pick up that you wouldn't have picked up normally in the second round that drop just because this is a bit of a deep draft when it comes to guards and wings, you know, and, and yeah. scorers and playmakers. So – I think you're going to find some value later in the first into the second. And then in free agency, we'll see exactly how it all falls out. But I think we'll see the plan from them, I think, immediately once the lottery happens and we see where they land. I think you're going to start seeing their – because they can really only go one of two ways. Well, We're let's say for the sake of argument, Dan, I, and I don't, mean to, I don't mean to cut across you, but just to clarify that because I didn't set the question up properly, well, the boat that Scott and I are in is – Next year is not the Houston route. It is we want to see fruits of labor. We want to see a trip to the playoffs, not not a play in opportunity. That's what I think the vibe of the franchise and the front office is going to be in how they attack things this offseason. That if that's the case, then you can absolutely do that. There there's if if that is the way that they choose, 
then you can address that in this draft, in my opinion. I think you can actually still stay on the course and grow young talent. And there might be some veterans out there that you'll be able to get. Obviously, you're not going to break the bank for everybody, but there are some names that may come out or, or maybe in you know trade fodder or, or you're as a four team that you're picking guys up. You know, There's talk about Trey Young. So what are the ramifications of that? Not him going to Indiana, right, right. but there's going to be ramifications. If they trade Trey Young, is that a Clint Capella issue? You know, are they going to move Capella? Is it, you know, it's things like that. So I think it's going to be more of a, you know, a secondary move when it comes to that. But if it's a speed up, they can absolutely do it this year. This is a good year to do it. Talking with Dan Purcell and Dan, I'm, I'm very curious what trades could potentially look like just in terms of the, the value there, because we saw at the trade deadline, right? I mean, a couple guys went for five second round picks. I mean, the value, basically what we've seen is Minnesota and their new ownership kind of screwed up the trade value of guys because of that Rudy Gobert deal and subsequent trades. And so I absolutely believe the Pacers will be in that conversation. I'm curious how much it's going to cost because, for example, one guy they really wanted at the trade deadline, like many teams, was OG Ananobi. It maybe yeah. cost three first round picks. The belief was maybe it needed four. Nonetheless, Toronto didn't elect to do anything anything so to me i'm most interested to see what teams believe the value is when the trade market comes yeah and you know actually og was five first rounds that's what toronto was asking for in the beginning part of the trade talks with most teams it was five first round picks (laughs) why would you do that yeah (laughs) there's no reason and there's no reason and you know i talked to uh, i've i've talked to a couple gms across the league about that and it's just that minnesota you guys hit it head on it doesn't take an expert to know this but that Minnesota trade has really skewed the value of future draft picks, right? You had it a little bit with the Anthony Davis trade. You had it a little bit, you know, it, it kind of built up from Drew the Holiday Davis trade. And Drew, yeah, and Drew Holiday, like what are what is the value of picks? And to me, I'm a firm believer in the value of draft picks, that they're very, very important. I mean, look at OKC. Indiana's going to be one of those teams. Like, the value of the pick is higher than what the perceived value is right now, and that's just capitalism, right? So – the perceived value of these first-round picks is so low because people are trying to win now, and they're saying, we can fill that gap with X, whether that's the in the new CBA, the middle class that gets a little more squeezed, and maybe you get, instead of having a mid-level guy, you're going to get him on a minimum, things like that. So there's a lot of movement, but that Minnesota trade, you're absolutely right. It has devalued, especially first-round picks, in my opinion. And second-round picks are, are what value now? Yeah, and, and I guess that is a... It makes this next question very sad to kind of build off of Scott's question there. And I know we'll ask you this when we have you back on as we get closer to the draft. But when you're looking at the value of this draft, Dan, Dan Purcell, nice enough to take some time with us here on the fan. The Pacers having three first rounders, but you would assume they would keep their top pick. But those other two first rounders they have around the, the in the 20s, can't remember the exact specific spot of them, but in the 20s in that regard, how much value is there for those picks just for this draft? I understand we talked about how the, the value around the league is kind of depreciated, but with what this draft offers, how enticing would that be to a team that's trying to either get rid of an expiring contract or maybe doesn't like a fit of one player and want to send him to greener pastures? Yeah, I actually think that's actually really good ammo Um, because as the draft gets closer, the picks become more valuable. That's kind of how this thing works, right? The further you are from the draft, the less perceived value, and the closer you get to the draft, the more perceived value, right? So that's why you see a lot of these small market teams, they make their trades either right before or right after the the lottery, or I'm sorry, after the draft because it's a perceived value thing, right? So 
I think that's actually great ammo because you can do you can either couple those together, trade higher if you if your guy is there at 17, 18, maybe even 15 if a team's willing to work with you on it, um, and you can go trade up and get your guy, or is it I can use one of those as trade fodder and see what I can get, whether that's pick up a vet on an expiring contract or maybe if they need to cut money to sign somebody. Like there's a lot of different things that they can do. With those picks, I love that 20 to 30. That's my sweet spot personally. I think there's tons of value, and then you lock them up for that rookie scale contract, whereas second round guys, you don't get to lock them up to that contract for as long. So there's a, it's a low money risk and a high value reward 20 through 30. Dan Purcell with us, former front office executive and current director of scouting at the Sports Business Classroom and NBA Summer League. Dan, want to dive into the play in a bit tonight. Raptors, Bulls, Pelicans, Thunder. I, I don't know how big, if at all, gambling guy you are. Raptors minus six. Uh, Pelicans minus five and a half. And the other intriguing bet that we talked about a little bit off air is, what is it, Scott? 12 and one? Something like that in terms of... In the unders, the last eight games, going back the, la- oh, the wow. last two years, all the unders have hit. So wow. you, you can take anything you want, <laughs> and if you're not a gambling guy, you can spin it instead on just expectations for tonight why should scott watch i mean he'll watch but why should he maybe change his tune on the plan i i'm not a gambler at all i understand <laughs> metrics and vegas never loses right yeah so nope. uh yeah I, th- I think i think it's pretty much on the table the 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 chicago toronto game is not really a super intriguing game to me i think chicago's i've watched their last 10 games and they don't look very <laughs> that says it all right there, doesn't it? Say something nice. <laughs> the effort wasn't there. Yeah. And Toronto, they have enough talent. They have enough wing depth and scoring talent. I think they I think they get this one tonight. I would I would definitely take them. And then the second game's very interesting. Obviously if the Pelicans had Zion, this would be a no brainer. I would actually probably pick the Pelicans to upset some people, but they lost to Minnesota, who played very well in Minnesota, and their best player had 42, and they still couldn't pick up the win. So there's – and OKC is a very extremely well-coached team. Lots of really good players and one elite player. And they, they have snuck up on the league a lot this year. Everybody thought they were in the – they were just going to fall to the wayside when Chet Holmgren went down, and they have really, really done a good job. Mark Dagenau is such a good coach. So I would not be surprised if Oklahoma City goes in there and, and surprises – New Orleans today. I don't think it happens. I would it wouldn't surprise me. Last thing, Dan, you brought up Toronto. So to me, they're among the most interesting teams this offseason because I could see them going in a variety of ways. And it starts at the top with Usai Mujiri and, and Nick Nurse and those conversations, plus a, a number of different guys they could elect to trade, like we discussed at the trade deadline or not. Uh, and maybe it's they're probably up there with intrigue in terms of like the Warriors with, with Draymond, with Bob Myers. What is Bob going to do? Um, where do you kind of sit with that? And, and do you see maybe Toronto like? Miami is a team that maybe needs to to step back and have a little bit of a reset. I, I think if, if if we want to stop the, start at the top with leadership and leadership leads with Masai, I would expect a rebuild to start. Um, they have, and the only reason they're ripe for a rebuild, in my in my opinion, they're kind of in no man's land, right? They're six yep. to nine in the East. They have they have really good players, but they don't have an elite guy, you know, a top twenty player that can take them. Beat, you know, that can beat Philly in a seven-game series. So, you know, and for, for example, the Phillies have Embiid. He can beat you in a seven-game series in the first or second round. So, for me, if 
Masai decides that he's that they're leaving or they're parting ways, I would expect a, a full clean house. And I actually, I actually was thinking Indiana in terms of Siakam um, as a possible area. They have the draft capital. They sh- they should have the space. There's a lot of you know uh, mechanics in the CBA that could really work there. I think he'd actually be a very viable option with Indiana. You don't want to talk about making the rebuild faster. I think that's a really good name to look out for. Um, but then Van Vliet, you know, his contract stuff is is um, you know, it's coming to an end there. His his time is pretty much over there. It's I just think you build around Scotty Barnes, get a bunch of draft picks. Let's move on from there. <laughs> you mentioned Pascal, and I completely agree. The fit is fantastic. But we just talked about OG them wanting five first round picks. <laughs> I can't even imagine if they're actually trying to play ball. Then what they would demand. But that's a whole different OG point. He makes a lot less money though in defense. He makes a lot less money. So there's a there's value. That's in the fair, number, right? That's that's an old saying. Is there's value in the number and. That number on OG is way less than Pascal, and you know it's 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 a, it's a different dynamic when you start putting the actual salaries together. You go, oh, okay, this is a possibility. And with Indiana having a lot of flexibility, to me, that was one of the teams that I'm actually doing my off-season review of every team. I'm working on Toronto. Literally, I was working on it yesterday, and I'm, I'm glad you guys asked because I saw Indiana as a po- as a possible uh, landing spot for them. There's also some others that you know can also give really good packages, uh, New Orleans if they wanted to, you know, teams like that. But it's a very interesting fit there. I think he would fit great with Rick. Last question on my end, Dan, in a scenario where I'm definitely not going to uh, place the bet that you decide to give me here today. Uh, looking at the <laughs> look at it, uh, futures here to win it all, <laughs> not name the Bucks. who would you take to win it all and hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy here in about two months? If healthy, Golden State. I I I don't wow. see a team mm-hmm. other than Boston having having. If Golden State is healthy and Wiggins is playing at just his normal level, um, and no injuries happen, I it's hard for me to bet against against them. You have the best player. You have the second best player on earth. You have the best role player on earth. <laughs> you have the best defense when Looney's in there against bigs. Like they match up against bigs. They bat, match up against small ball. They can match up against speed. They match you on shooting. I mean, they have the counter to your punch. Pretty much every team but Boston. Plus nine fifty juice. I was going to say punch, pun intended, right there, right? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You know, and and I hate to say it because I know I I know people in Indiana, you know, like Malcolm Brogdon, but he's been awesome. (laughs) He's he has been awesome for Boston. He's been like that's he's my X factor when it comes why I'm high on the Celtics. His, the way he plays and how he plays and how he fits in is, is just awesome there. Yeah, I think that, that yeah, was a, we're happy for him, yeah. That was a <laughs> deal that worked out for both both sides very well, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. yeah. I agree. Dan, Dan, always appreciate you making time for us. No, we'll circle back as the playoffs continue to unfold and as we get closer to the draft. Uh, remind me if I if I missed anything. Obviously, Sports Business Classroom, a great opportunity for those wanting to, to get the ins and outs of their dreams of being in the front office of different sports, not just the NBA, even though that's the focus there, director scouting there. Uh, anything else you want to plug while you're here? Uh, yeah, sports business classroom during summer league. It's, yep. an, it's the immersive experience. Um, we've, we've done a study now. We're at a, a high percentage of our graduates go and get jobs into either the G League, the NBA, the WNBA, um, overseas in Euro League. It's, a, it's like a – it's so, so rewarding to see young people that put the time and effort into what they do in our program, and they're rewarded for that time and effort. Well, it's a great thing. It's always fun to see that and see the fruits in general kind of come forth with Sports Business Classroom. I'm going to look forward to following along with that as well. We'll talk to you before then, my friend. Thanks for making time.
Thanks for having me, guys. That is Dan Purcell, Director of Scouting with the Sports Business Classroom over at Summer League. It's funny, I haven't heard Malcolm Brogdon's name in a long while around here. Yeah, I, I think the only reason I have is on some national conversations when discussing Sixth Man of the Year. And I was curious, what, what was his final number? In terms of games played, because more than anything, Jimmy, that was the biggest issue here, is you just could not count on him. His last season, 36 games. Now, to to be fair to him, I think he probably could have played another 10, and they wisely held him out. But let's, for argument's sake, make that 45. Not enough. 56 the year before that. Not enough. Nope. 54 his first year. Well, this year, coming off the bench and playing... Seven minutes less per game, which is actually pretty sizable to go from 34 and being one of the guys to being that six man role to 26 minutes. So slightly above a TJ McConnell role in terms of minutes and to being dependent on 67 games. I think that's very reasonable for that role. And I think I'll give him credit for being willing to accept this lesser role because coming here. Number one, the Bucks weren't going to give him an extension. So that's why it worked out here. And two. I remember talking with him and at his locker, he was saying, man, I really wanted to come to a place where I could be the man, where so much was being dependent on me. Now he's reverted back, and understandably so, a little older, 30 years old, and to play with two legit all-NBA guys and Tatum and him, and him Brown, I think he's fit in well here. I think it, it, it kind of run his courts with the Pacers, and like I so- told Dan, it worked out so well then for the Pacers. Aaron Neesmith who I think none of us had huge expectations. We really didn't have much expectations, if anything, for him when he was acquired during last July. And on top of that, they pick up their draft pick, so picks 29 this year. And and that's intriguing in a number of ways because, yes, you can. Maybe a guy falls and it interests you or other teams. Or, you know, the other thing with all that is those teams late late in the draft are primed to win. So they're going to go after a different type of player, a guy that can maybe help them win now right away. So it's good to have those type of assets. On the Malcolm Brogdon front, maybe him switching to that six-man role was also good for his availability, like you mentioned, yeah. what do you say, 67 games? Which would That's probably more than he played in any of his seasons in Indiana, right? More than any season, Eddie, but his rookie year. So it had been... Six, this most in the last six seasons. So maybe the realization to him is like, hey, maybe I can go to a contending team. I can still get my own as the sixth man off the bench and play as many games as I want. I think that's, I think that was a good sign for Malcolm Brogdon and, you know, willing to accept it, like you said. It's one of those where you have to understand, be, be who you can afford to be. And he was out yeah. there and, and just missing way too many games, in part because he had to do so much. He had to initiate the offense. He had to get others involved. Had to attack. Had to knock down threes. Was dependent on some for his defense. I think not as much as we expected later on the year. But yeah, he's accepted this new role as getting paid well. And I think something I know I would love is being within that winning type culture where you go in every day and know that today matters because you have a chance in the postseason. Yeah, we're not going to dive fully into the obvious differences between the the present culture. You know, the Pacers are working towards building it back up, but the long-term legacy culture of the Boston Celtics, obviously, you walk in there, I, I, I get it, I understand that there's a different vibe, a different feel there. Every but, game but, sellout, yes. yeah. But, but the reason that it frustrates me the most is that there's no, like I joke about you know, an alternate universe, that might happen there or there. There's really none Word happens with Brogdon and the Pacers for a number of different reasons. In part, like you mentioned, he wasn't ready for a role at that time. He wanted to be able to be the guy, whether it was just his body wouldn't allow him to do it or a number of different things. I don't think there's a scenario where he is 
accompanied with the way the Pacers roster was constructed at that point being in this role that he's in with Boston. It's no, just not there. Absolutely not. And on top of that, what we saw, I think, yes, it was a smaller sample size, but when he overlapped, I want to say, with Tyrese last year for about 10, 15 games, I didn't like how then Ty reacted because he didn't want to try to take over. He didn't want to ruffle some feathers, so he kind of deferred. And this team's best when he is running the show. And so, no, I, I don't think that marriage could have worked and thus empowered and allowed for Tyrese to be him. And so, yeah, I thought it was a no-brainer type move when the Pacers were able to execute that. And they have crushed it in the trades. They've done well, I would say, in the draft the last couple of years. Before that, big issue. Yes. Big concern. But I also don't like to judge these draft picks until at least three years. So the early indications have been very good, but also you should be striking hot a little bit more when you're higher up there, when you're picking sixth rather than 18th to 25, because oftentimes that's very much a crapshoot. That's Scott Agnes. I'm Jimmy Cook. We're going to step aside. When we return, Shane Steichen speaking with the media today. We'll evaluate some of his comments and has a door that was shut on a particular quarterback, officially been locked. We'll open that up, plus maybe look at different direction the Colts could go with rather than taking a quarterback at four. That and more when we return on the Fan Midday Show, 93.5-1075, The Fan. This is the Fan Midday Show, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Eddie Garrison running the show behind the scenes and providing the classic hits right there. Haven't heard so many of these in quite a while. (laughs) Alongside, you're, you're, even though I'm the younger of the two of us, for the for a fair amount of our audience, you're being liberal with the word classic. It's classic to us, but, but for for a lot Understood. of the audience, very very new age. Yes. <laughs> Haven't heard this stuff in 20 years. It feels like. Yeah. Nonetheless, that's Jimmy Cook. I'm Scott Agnes. You can read my writing at FieldhouseFiles.com. But going to break, um, Jimmy teased a little something going on with the Colts because right now I think it's day two of some off season training, some meetings, Colts posting a video yesterday of kind of Shane Steichen addressing the team for the first time, trying to set the culture, talk about let's let's have that commitment to one another and that will create our culture where it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about us as a group. All those kind of cliche things, but it's also interesting to see how a head coach, certainly a new head coach, tries to set the tone on day one. But also then today, Shane Steichen talking with local reporters as this show is ongoing. And something caught your attention, Jimmy. Well, again, the tinfoil hat wearers will say that, ah, well, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I don't want to fully lump you in with this group because you were right on that nationally. But I'm, I'm choosing to trust the coach with his angle right here in talking about one quarterback option that might be Rumored to the Colts has been the last couple of weeks. Were they really ever in the running? Mm-hmm. Uh, who is to say? Of course, I'm talking about Lamar Jackson. Uh, we had Stephen Holder on the show a little bit earlier this week. And on Twitter, at Holder Stephen, he had asked Shane Steichen whether the Colts have turned their focus solely to the draft as opposed to Lamar Jackson or other options. And he said, we're focused on the draft. I'm focused on the guys that are in the building right now. That's where we're at. Now, again, I'm not saying that that is a... a total lock but as we've had more conversations and we got this from Charles Davis a little bit yesterday the Odell Beckham Jr. signing to me as we continue to get further along and away from free agency into the draft I think Lamar Jackson ends up back in Baltimore next year I just ultimately think that's what happened there's not a real full-scale market for him right now based on the asking price that he set for himself but again we've had conversations with oh well, maybe the Colts aren't done with that boat Maybe they're going to try to acquire him. Would he fit well? It sounds like, at least from what the organization is putting out, ignoring Jim Irsay's comments a couple weeks ago yeah. on guaranteed money, 
that that door has officially been locked. The key is thrown away, and I, I think that it, you can. If you're we're on that boat as a Colts fan, I think you can put it to bed fully. I don't think you can. Okay, because I I have always been in the in the position of if you are acquiring Lamar Jackson, if you're the Colts, it would be after the draft, not before. Once or you not see what during. your options are, and maybe like Jimmy's point uh-huh. earlier is, oh, this is all. Uh, uh, all right, let's go a different route. I don't now. think the door's fully locked. Okay, it may be like just a smidge yeah. open. Just a smidge. The key's under the mat. You, can, you know you, where it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. The key's under the mat. You can fit sure. your pinky toe maybe sure. through there, but I think that's as much open as it is. I don't think it's fully closed yet because I think come draft night, you don't know what's going to happen. So I want to ask a caveat there with you. You mentioned that. In my mind, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong. You're wrong. Thank you. The only way that... <laughs> Save me the words. Thank you. <laughs> the only... Walked into it. The only way that you door did. is open is if they don't take a quarterback at four. Like I, I am officially locking it. Everything I've said, you know, take it for what it is about Levis or Richardson. If they take one of those two at four, then the door is locked. You're, you're, you're painting an idea of them not taking a quarterback at four, correct? I would be in this scenario, okay, right. correct? Yeah, like if they went the alternative okay. option of, you know, you see Will Anderson sitting there. You're, you're there at four. And, you know, it's a guy that has been reportedly penciled in as a 10-sack guy from the moment he walks into the league, and he's a very good run defender. And you know how Chris Ballard loves his defensive linemen, and the Colts haven't had a notable pass rusher uh, that gets to the quarterback willingly and when you need him to since Freeney and Mathis. So that that would be the enticing part to me if I'm Chris Ballard sitting there at four, like, ooh. Yeah. Well, Anderson's sitting here. You know, he's he's one of the top athletes in the draft. He's one of the top prospects in the draft. Do I take him and, A, pass up on quarterback and, you know, revisit this Lamar Jackson scenario possibly? Or do I try and trade back in later in the first round and get <laughs> Hendon Hooker? Here's the one thing, too, that I read into. Uh, I don't know Shane Steichen or his tendencies or anything like that, whereas you might have a better understanding of others. But when he goes, we're focused on the draft, I'm focused on the players that are in the building right now. Look, it's a heavy diet of coach speak. I'm not going to No, no, my point is you're the head coach. Yeah, you shouldn't be focused on this as much right now. Leave that to Chris Ballard in the front office, and when he wants your opinion, you jump in. But remember how I led this segment. There's off-season work. He's setting the tone for how he wants to start the season, the relationship he has with his players. So to my point, this is one of those, he could be not even answering the question, so to speak. It's, yeah, my focus is right now with the players that are here. But it also could be a very deliberate way of saying, no, we're not at all interested. It's one of those that if I was on that pace, or excuse me, the Colts beat, that's something you're trying to figure out. What are his tells? What are things that um, that you can lean on that suggest maybe the route in which he's going? But to me, the most... Cr- alarming or or interesting thing has been coming to an agreement the Ravens did with Odell Beckham Jr. without having clarity yet on their quarterback, to our knowledge. Why would you do that? So, (laughs) what does it mean? (laughs) Is that not the best liner? (laughs) It's it's amazing. Uh, Shout out to Brian Windhorst. The, the The two reasons for me are A, even though his last thousand yard season was in 2019, and he only played in seven games in 2020. 2021 had a l- little bit of a bounce back year, splitting time between Cleveland and the Rams. Was a a critical piece to the Rams. Not like a it was more gravy, right? Obviously, Cooper Cup was was the mainstay, and in, in terms of the offense, and, and Matthew Stafford having a resurgence year when they made that trade to acquire him, they went 
all in in general. Aaron Donald dominating on the defensive end. It wasn't just Odell. But when you look at the wide receiver room in Baltimore, just the receivers. I'm not talking about tight end. I'm talking about just the receivers. Mm -hmm. There's an argument to be made that Odo Beckham Jr. is the best wide receiver in terms of total body of work that they've had in Lamar's entire time being there. Outside of like the one flash from from, from Hollywood Brown when he was there before they traded him uh, to what, Arizona, I think is where he ended up. So you're viewing this as a point to try to retain They're him and make him happy. Or, yes, that's A, but B is that even though he's 30, assuming the Ravens react in a way that is not giving um, <laughs> giving the ball back to Tyler Huntley and, and they're, they're going with a quarterback in some form, whether that is via trade or that is through the draft, they have a weapon now. They have another weapon on offense. Maybe, but you're not spending, I don't think, this kind of money to be average, to I, be casual. So the point here suggests... The front is Lamar, right? The correct. clear one. He's point A. And also, if you're Odell, why you're not... Trying, you're. Yes, the money was good. The money Better was really good. I saw attached to him all. Like, like I, but I wanted him to end up in Kansas City. Like cards and table, everybody knows him. Yeah, fan. because Kansas Never City needs money. more weapons. Never Jimmy. for that money. Their yeah. receiver. They, they they lost some receivers this offseason, Okay, they did. They lost. They lost, they lost, they lost a couple. Yeah, and then a couple he, years he ago, Tyree. They lost Miko Hardman. I, but again, my point is though, I, I'm not trying to get into a whole chief discussion here. I reference it because the money was saying maybe eight million next year, maybe maybe ten million, eleven million next year. What with when it's all said and done with incentives, either fifteen or eighteen yep. million for him, that's insane. Like because there's no there's no reason to make that payment if you're the Ravens, other than we don't have weapons for Odell or we don't have weapons for Lamar. Maybe Odell turns the clock back and is what he was in 2019, has a fully healthy season, and he's the best weapon easily that Lamar's had since he's been here at that position. And because he's coming off injury, I don't fault him of saying, let me just go get paid. Sure. Let me get that guaranteed money. Yeah, not mad at Odell. And figure out there. No, but I also thought he was one that would want to pair with one of the elite quarterbacks and really, at this stage in his career, try to go get that ring. And I wouldn't fault that. Whatsoever, he does have one. Oh, you, yeah, but, but but I know what you mean. That like almost really, lets you want really, another one, yes, even and, more, and, and and be on the field for the entirety of it because the way he got hurt in that game, yeah, he after came he back, had a touchdown catch. Didn't and, he come back for what felt like the final like two games of the? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, just just but it, but his injury his role the was Bowl. very different, and, and 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 the injury that he had during the Super Bowl after it looked like okay, this is finally a perfect. He fit was unstoppable, for him. and he was going to be the MVP of that Super Bowl. I, I agree. Yeah. Didn't he already have two touchdowns at that point, if I'm remembering correctly? It or? was at least one. I he can't had remember one, but two. he was at like five catches for like 80 yards in the first half. One. Yeah. Yes. The, so, with I was going to say, with Lamar Jackson, it's twofold if you're bringing it back then to the Colts in their current situation. To me, if it's Richardson, Levis, or Lamar, it all comes down to that guaranteed money. And on top of that, I think the thing that you're concerned most about is you look back, games played the last two years, 12 and 12. And they're fair. They're fair concerns. That's those are the two concerns. How much guaranteed money, and his availability? Because if his availability is twelve games, would you take twelve games of Lamar over fifteen, seven, sixteen sure. of the next guy? And because he's a known I, commodity right now. Yes, and that's why again I get the Colts fans that want to get a rookie QB over Lamar Jackson or over any type of veteran quarterback. Not just because you've been scarred before, because we have the list of of eight different starting quarterbacks and and we have the list of the struggles of trying to do a bandaid with it. I get the want for a rookie QB, and why I'm kind of locking the door is while I do think Colts fans should ponder the idea that maybe the Colts really don't love who falls to them at four and they do something else besides taking a quarterback, I don't envision a world where they want to 
strap themselves to two things. One, that amount of money when they aren't a championship roster right now, and I think they become a playoff team at best with Lamar as things are currently structured. And two, you're losing draft capital as well to try to build around your team in the next two years just by acquiring him. That's why I've always thought it's probably off the table. Then you hear what Jim Irsay says about guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. Then you see what Shane Steichen says today. The logical move, I know, is taking a QB at four. And if it's Richardson, like, yes, that's my preference. That's what I want to have happen. But whoever they take, you have to fully, which they are doing, your due diligence to a point that this is a franchise guy. Take a swing, but take a swing because you believe this guy can be the face of the franchise for the next 10, 15 years. I'd like to point out the last couple of drafts, the Colts have had reported interest in Justin Fields and Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts was the one that stings now in hindsight, right? Yeah. But when you think about Frank them, Reich. both were are very smart on the IQ side of things, can process off the charts, accurate, mobile, athletic. To me, the part that when you think about the traits with those two quarterbacks, that tells me Anthony Richardson. Now, I don't know about the processing side of things between him or Will Levis because we've always heard Shane Sykin say he's got to have that it factor and the want to get better and the ability to process and just get better constantly day in and day out and have an obsession over the craft of being a quarterback in the NFL. We don't know that because we're not there with these uh, with these quarterbacks and able to interview them, but I think ultimately what Sykin has been telling us is what it will come down to. The lean from the scouting reports, again, you're right. We're just reading tea leaves because we're not there. We're not having these interviews with the players. We're not in the front office, obviously. As cool as that would be, we joked about it before in the past. I'll sign an NDA. I just want to see the process. I want to see what it's like. But I actually tried to do that with this fever draft. Yeah. You have the number one pick. <laughs> I believe someone should have been in there yeah. to document what that experience was like with the number one pick and on top of that, the number seven pick. But sure. not sure there was much work to number one. But. <laughs> no, but, but, but anyway, the, yeah. The, what, what, <laughs> what, what I'm referencing there is I think it's Richardson. I, I think that based yeah. on what we're reading, it is Richardson versus when you look at the scouting report on Will Levis. And scouting reports are wrong all the time. Like, and I'm not saying this is gospel, but when you look at that question, Eddie, the issues with Levis are exotic defenses or multiple looks on the defensive end confuse him. He gets flustered at times. He questions decision-making. Mistakes are compounded. Right now, if you're asking me just to go off the scouting reports, not being in these meetings, I think you're right. I think it is Richardson that would fit that mold more. That's where I've been leaning the entire time over Will Levis because to me, if you're a guy who gets frantic in the pocket, and I know that's a little bit of a question mark when it comes to C.J. Stroud, and you get frantic in the pocket, you get happy feet, you don't know where to go with the ball, and you're not really known for trying to run with your legs like Will Levis, that just really turns me off and scares me when you're going from college and you're that way to the NFL. And another thing with Levis that I am like petrified about, he had a good 2021 season, but then everything changes in 2022 and he was horrific. Is he the 2022 Will Levis? Or you see the 2021 Brett Levis. And and, and in defense of him, and I make the same defense for Richardson, they both had changes with coordinators. They both had changes in the wide receiver room. Like Again, these are both project guys. You're asking where you lean. Eddie and I, in this regard, yeah, you you like the upside. You want the potential of Richardson right now versus the concerns that are there. His upside outweighs that for me in my mind. Scott Agnes, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison here with you on the Fan Midday Show. Still to come, conversation with J.J. Stankovitz at Colts.com. He just had his most recent mock draft Monday. We'll dive into that a little bit and also get the takeaways from media availability with Shane Steichen 
and the rest of a couple of players as well on the Colts roster. Michael Pittman Jr., I believe, spoke today in addition. That and more around the corner on the Fan Midday Show. This is the Fan Midday Show. Welcome back in with Eddie Garrison and Jimmy Cook. I'm Scott Agnes. Talk a lot about the Colts' possibilities in the draft, and that's going to be an ongoing conversation here for the next two weeks, right, leading up to the the NFL draft. And, and that leads me to a, a totally separate issue here, Jimmy. Indianapolis has to host a draft, right? Like, I, how much yes. would they crush it? And I, I, the, I believe the first person I heard suggest this was Will Carroll. It's got to be at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, right? Imagine, Ooh. I think that would be fantastic. Throw it out there. Maybe the st- get somebody to race around the track and deliver deliver the, each deliver track. the card <laughs> at least the for the pick. first round. Yeah, yeah. or oh, maybe the first the pick. pick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Instead of like Las Vegas, where they're like transported on like moats out front of the Bellagio <laughs> yeah. Hotel or something to create some dramatic effects. But I think that that should be the next thing. We we talk about next year NBA being huge here, right? With the All Star. Weekend, not just the game, but All-Star Weekend, and that's going to be a blast. I'm here for it. I, I say, Doug Bowles, let's get it. I understand that there is, you know, <laughs> I've done this before, right? I've done, I've done the two-seater experience at the track. So I would love the option for the draft pick, and I get this. This is dangerous territory because you're worried about, like, health and safety <laughs> there, but, like, just, just a lap. There's one lap after the pick is made. After you make a handshake with the commissioner, you hop in the the two seater of your team's logos and you uh, pick a ride around. I know. There's going to be some certain specifications that would be have to be tweaked there. I understand, no doubt. <laughs> but I, I would be completely on board. Yeah, with seeing something like that, and that would also expose, I think, yeah. IMS to a whole different audience potentially, and and what this is about, and the the speed. I mean, the adrenaline rush. That's the NFL. That's the NFL draft yep. for so many. So I think that should be the next avenue, especially right now here over these last couple of years where we have not had the Big Ten women's or the Big Ten's men's basketball tournaments. We haven't had the NCAA this year. I think it's back in 2026, I believe, with maybe first or second round or regionals. But I would love to see Indy get in the mix for something like that. Well, I think the goal of... And now I think this is clearly what the goal is of the NFL. They want to make this a rotating just carnival of excitement amongst their fan base in their different cities. We've seen it continue to rotate uh, Nashville a couple years ago. Like you mentioned last year in Las Vegas, this year in Kansas City, it will ultimately end up here at some point in time. And if it's not already being done in some <laughs> regard by yep. whether it's just you know members of the, of the more entertainment side of the Colts, whether it's a visit Indy, no doubt they are getting proposals ready or have grand ideas of what it should look like. All the pros for why the combine works here, all the pros for why big events work here with the close proximity of everything. Um, it makes too much sense for it to some someday not arrive here. Here becomes a different idea then. Should the NBA follow suit? I'm going to get the draft a rotational thing. Yeah. Think about having it in Orlando one year, Memphis one year, New Orleans, Houston. Obviously, it would hit a New York, L.A., Chicago. But this would be a way to showcase Minneapolis and give Minnesota a big-time feel. Now, my it, first impression is— it's a perfect is, time of year, too. You're not worried about how cold and rough yeah, it is, too. You're not worried about that in June in any of these cities. Yeah. If anything, maybe it's those warm cities. Yeah, well, too you're hot. not going to Miami, <laughs> where it might be 92 degrees yeah. in the middle of the afternoon for—I guess these would be held at night, but sure. um, in the evening portion here. But I, I thought that— should be something worth consideration, although I will say it's much shorter. 
it's just that that one day event. Although yeah. I wouldn't be opposed, I could see them pushing that and expanding it into a two day. Make the first round one night Thursday night, and maybe a Friday night second round. However, I will say too, think about the international presence, and a lot of these guys have not been to New York before. And that New York, the appeal, the the yep. fashion element, there's there's a lot to be done. You got a lot of international media, much more so than you do from an NFL standpoint. So it does have great appeal and understanding of why it makes sense to continue to have it in New York City. And that was like both headquarters. I mean, obviously, they, they both have West Coast headquarters as well, but both national headquarters for the NBA and the NFL are based in New York. It, it made so much sense for a number of years why the NFL was just a mainstay in New York. I think it works for the NFL because it is a multi-night basis, to your point. It's, it's an entire four-day event. Right. And with the NBA, it, it, it would be more extraneous to be able to milk it out for longer than where the content really is. And you are highlighting one of, if not your biggest market in New York City every time you have the draft. So I don't know how viable it is, but I would be on board with it if they did it. I, I'm actually surprised it hadn't reach that level just yet yeah but it might i'm certain they've probably had those conversations probably done some studies and the value at least today has not been worth it they want to continue on and there's also at least behind the scenes i think about those people that like plan for the draft all year round right in terms of functionally how they operate it's so much easier to do the same thing and hit repeat and just add to it you know the logistics you have your companies you have all of that someone listening uh, a friend of mine texts me you do it at IMS in the first round talking NFL and then the second and third days in downtown you you open the windows of Lucas Oil Stadium and make it huge (laughs) downtown yeah I could see that the challenge though becomes then you got two different stages so you have two different setups yeah but it would it would celebrate the downtown more whereas IMS would steal the show on on night one logistically speaking while i love the creativity you probably have different nfl attractions or events there but you look at where it's been done there's always one central location for all four nights it's union station this year i can't remember where the main main stage was last year in las vegas for some reason that's escaping me but it's always been one spot but they have other stuff whether it's one network here one network there right. more interactive processes uh, just in general at different meccas or, or landmarks so to speak of the city i think it would fit re- very well <laughs> Indianapolis well molded for that's that. that's something no that's just been on my mind for a while and mm-hmm. quite honestly we'll probably write about it leading into the nba draft coming up in June. That's Jimmy Cook. I'm Scott Agnes. This is the Fan Midday Show. We talked earlier in the show to Dan Purcell. Up next, we'll dive back into the Colts and the NFL draft. J.J. Stankovitz of Colts.com will join the show here. It's the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Just after 2 p.m. here in central Indiana, a gorgeous day outside. If you have not gotten out, I encourage you to make a point to do so, but keep us on the radio as you do as you're listening to the Fan Midday Show with Jimmy Cook. I'm Scott Agnes, and we move to our next guest to talk more Colts, more NFL. It's J.J. Stegovitz with Colts.com. Been there for several years, and, and J.J., things picking up a little bit over there, certainly at West 56th Street. Not only is the draft a couple weeks away now, but some action with Shane Steichen kind of trying to set the culture here from day one and, and meeting with some players. What have you learned here over the last couple of days? Yeah, you know, we, we are now in the early stages of Shane Steichen looking to implement the culture that he wants inside the Indiana Farm Bureau, Bureau Football Center. 
And it's just been interesting hearing from players about, you know, all right, yeah, like his first team meeting, like he, he had a lot of juice and you can tell sort of the outline of, of what he wants this thing to look like. And I think that's that's really important that Shane has come in and and set very clear boundaries and directives uh, from day one to these guys where you're not going to, you're not going to build the offense today. Like literally today was the first time Shane even talked X's notes with any of the guys on offense, but Hey, look, these are the expectations. We're going to keep reinforcing them. You know, they're reinforced on the walls of the building now, and it, it is going to be different. It's going to be a different feel than the Colts have had in years past. And, you know, I think some of the, the things that Shane wants out of his guys are, are things that really do work and, and really do, you know, produce successful teams in the NFL. Um, you know, just hearing from guys, you know, we just heard from DeForest Buckner, Zaire Franklin, even hearing from guys on defense, uh, you know, about just how, you know, yeah, Shane's like, you know, seems like a good guy, got some energy, uh, you know, seems like the right leader for this team. I thought it was interesting, JJ, you immediately mentioned how, you know, the walls have changed a little bit. The Saints are on the wall. I think we all remember that with Tony Dungy and the commitments and different things that he held up there. Is there a complete noticeable difference of Shane Steichman and, and what he's trying to implement there just as you walk in and the tone they set when they enter the locker room? Yeah, well, you know, in the locker room now, it's painted up on the wall. When, when you're committed, you're connected, and okay. that's one of – Shane's, uh, you know, go-to phrases that he has. Uh, you know, the other one that, that he said even in the team meeting on Monday, you know, the separation is in the preparation. So, you know, every coach has their sayings and their, uh, their kind of mantras and, and mottos that they want to hit home. Um, but for Shane, you know, they're, they're all pretty straightforward. They're all pretty understandable. And, um, you know, I think they're all pretty easily digestible for guys to start to buy into him. Because, I mean, look, the, a lot of these guys in this team, that you know, this is now the third head coach they've they've been here with whether it's been frank reich jeff saturday now shane steichen and you know it's not that guys doubt any of this stuff i think all of them are trusting but that trust does have to be built upon and continue to be earned um you know really starting this week with shane steichen and these guys jd stankovitz of colts.com as well as public address announcer for the Indianapolis colts nice enough to take some time with us today jj to kind of build off of that this is a unique offseason for you from a coverage standpoint because the Colts are given that benefit of extra time to start their offseason program with a new head coach at the helm. This is obviously the first offseason uh, in a number of years and in your tenure there, if I'm not mistaken, where a new head coach has been there to go through this process. What has, if anything, your day-to-day changed and how has that in this first week kind of changed the outlook of things with a, an early start to this new campaign? Really, the, the biggest thing is it's not the early start. You know, the Colts are starting a week earlier than uh, other teams are allowed to start. The biggest thing is the mini camp the Colts will get to hold the week of the NFL draft, where that will allow coaches to get on the grass with players and, and start doing some instruction. I covered one of those in 2018 when I was covering the Bears, where, uh, you know, they're able to get on the grass, the, that new coaching staff with Matt Nagy. And, you know, those, those are pretty spirited practices. It was fun to see, you know, some, you know, even if it was more at, a, at an OTA-type pace, uh, it's fun to see guys getting after it in April. Um, and, and that stuff is really valuable, especially for the offense, to be able to get some, some on-field coaching work about a month earlier than everyone else. And in addition to the 10 days of OTA and minicamp practices that will take place in, in May and June, so to me, that, that's the biggest benefit right there is that work that the Colts will get 
in April, uh, even beyond just maybe starting a week early. Talking with JJ Stankovitz of Colts.com. And JJ, I want to I want to pitch a product here for you for your okay. great documentary yeah. team, Lara K. Connors, all those over there. I think it would be great, like once a week here, and it's a little late, but leading up to the draft, to show Chris Ballard or one of the execs over there. The what people are saying, whether it's fans, um, national writers about the draft and about selections. Maybe you listen to a podcast for five minutes or a radio show and have him live react to what is being said and then produce that in a documentary. So maybe he's like, there's no chance we're taking X guy. And that was a month before the draft. I think it would be fascinating to see that after they have already done most of their due diligence, after they truly know on the inside and then kind of laughing about some of what is being said or written. I mean, here, here's the thing. I, the, the Colts, when they're done doing their due diligence with top 30 visits, that's when, like, that's when the marathon days start. I mean, and I think those have already started, yeah. uh, really, those marathon days. I don't, I don't know if Chris has a ton of time on his hands right now um, to go and read through inaccurate mock drafts. It would be funny, but I don't know if he's, he's got the bandwidth right now because, you know, th- this is when you're really getting that draft board set uh, you know, between now and, and the start of the draft, you know, really Chris Ballard has said the cement doesn't dry until draft day. And, and that's true. You really got to put in a ton of work now, uh, you know, coming through. I mean, the amount of information that is gathered on these guys, it's like, it's, it's so vast. It's almost incomprehensible if you're not in the process as a scout or a member of the front office or a member of the coaching staff. Um, and that, to sift through that and then to be able to come to a decision on it, where you're not, you're not, you know, nitpicking every little thing, and, and you have to look at guys who have flaws, and you have to identify what flaws are, are we can we work around, what flaws can we correct, what flaws are uncorrectable. Like my goodness, I'm glad I don't do that job because I don't know how mentally you would handle it. You have to be wired a different way than I am to go through that process. J.J. Stankovic with us. J.J., you talked a little bit about the stress just now that goes on with front offices. And look, I mean, obviously, we can all have our opinions on what we want the Colts to do. We're 15 days away now. In my mind, you know, I've kind of been set on Anthony Richardson. That's what I want to see happen. But perhaps there is really still internal debate within the Colts about Richardson or Levis. I'm not asking you about that specifically. What I'm asking about is you've covered two front offices to some extent or two teams to some extent with the Chicago Bears and now with the Indianapolis Colts for a couple of seasons as you look through or kind of recall back to previous drafts and I know this one is different but how much wiggle room or headway is made with your first and second round decision boards when you're two weeks out from the draft I think I think most teams operate where before the combine you anchor your board so you don't have wild swings based on what you might learn between the combine and the NFL draft. So I think, you know, because, I mean, look, the tape tells you a lot of what you need to know, and there's no new tape on these guys, really. You know, you can say there's pro day tape or whatever. Uh, there's, really, there's really no new tape on these guys from the end of the season until now. So at least in, in my experience, you, you anchor your board – and then you can, you know, obviously guys will move a little bit, but you're not going to have like, man, you know, we had this guy with a fifth round grade in January and all of a sudden we come to April and he's got a third round grade or a second round grade or a first round grade. 
usually those, those things are going to be relatively stable. Here's the one thing that I, I can speak to what the Colts are doing and the involvement that the coaching staff has. Just hearing from Chris Ballard down in Arizona at the owners' meetings and the importance of getting Shane Steichen's eyes on these guys and not just saying, all right, here's who we as a, a front office think you need to take and go ahead. Here you go. It's, you know, what, you know, what are you looking for? Um, you know, with Shane Steichen in, in that, and that collaborative process is so important because if you hand a head coach, a quarterback that he didn't want, that's how you wind up usually with a, a guy who doesn't work out. Um, but one thing I thought that Chris Ballard said that was really interesting and really notable in Arizona was that Shane Steichen's experience with different types of quarterbacks, whether it's been Phillip Rivers, Justin Herbert with the Chargers, Jalen Hurts with the Eagles, kind of opens up every available lane in this year's draft of player types and uh, you know athletic profiles and certain traits because Steichen's coached three completely different quarterbacks and had success with three completely different quarterbacks. So you don't, he doesn't have a, what I'm trying to say is he doesn't have a type. He doesn't have one type of quarterback that he needs to have to run his offense. It can be whatever type of quarterback he gets and whatever type of quarterback he wants. He can mold an offense to that guy. That is an incredibly valuable asset to have as the Colts go through this draft process. JJ Stankovitz with us. DeForest Buckner, one of the players who spoke today, and it seemed like some of the comments that I read that he really wanted to be here, and but had a conversation maybe with Chris Ballard at the end of the season, an exit interview type. What stood out to you about what DeForest had to say about this offseason for him and, and about this team's uh, future moving forward? Yeah, you know, first of all, DeForest Buckner said there was a rumor on Twitter going around uh, that he was he wanted out of Indy. I remember seeing that, and the account that uh, tweeted that is notorious for just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks and just kind of making stuff up. So I thought it was even funny that he, he responded to it, but he said he had a couple of uh, players text him after that tweet went up being like, hey, man, come play for us. And he's like, no, 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 like, what's going on? Uh, but, yeah, he did have a conversation with Chris Ballard at the end of the season. All players go through those exit interviews mm-hmm. with the GM. And, you know, Defoe's on board. Buck is on board uh, with what the Colts are doing, the direction they're going. This team is not rebuilding. That's something he, you know, he's pretty adamant about it. You know, age 28, in year eight of his career, he does not want to go through a rebuild, and that's not what this team is doing right now. Um so, you know, hearing from him and, and just hearing that he likes the direction that he thinks Shane Steichen can take this team, he trusts Chris Ballard to make the right moves to build this team, um, you know, it's good to hear because Buck is one of the most important voices in that locker room as a, a veteran who's been there before. He's done that. He's been to a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, he's been an all-pro. That's the kind of guy who, if you're going to establish a culture, you need a guy like Buck on board, and it certainly sounds like he is. J.J. Stankovitz at Colts.com with us here on the Fan Midday Show. J.J., you've continued your series on Colts.com of NFL Mock Draft Monday, obviously two and a half weeks to go or so when you published this just two days ago. I know and we, we tried to you know kind of coax it out of you uh, last time you were on, so I understand <laughs> you're not going to make a selection of even what you would do with that fourth overall pick, but when you evaluate it, where – in all the mocks you've seen, what are the biggest pros, what are the biggest cons with what the Colts could potentially do at four, just on what you've kind of analysis from you uh, from your mock drafts? I think the most interesting thing is I haven't seen a ton 
of mock drafts that have had the Colts not taking a quarterback. Because that would be, you know, to, to throw that out there, that would go against conventional wisdom that the Colts are going to take a quarterback. And not a lot of mock drafts do that. But I, I like seeing the ones that do and seeing kind of how they frame it. And, and okay, wh- what does this mean? Are the Colts just going to totally pass on taking a quarterback in the draft? Or are they going to take one later in the draft? Those are always fascinating to me because – the, the way this could play out, because the Colts have the fourth overall pick, you know, there are scenarios. Every scenario is open to this team. That unless you have the number one overall pick and you give up a boatload of picks and a great wide receiver to go get it, um, unless you have that, the draft is not in your control until you go on the clock. So that lends itself to every available option being open to you and Chris Ballard has been very clear in everything that he has said that yes you would like to get that quarterback in this year's draft but if that guy isn't on the board at number four you don't reach for him because that's taking the the wrong quarterback at the wrong time is almost worse than not taking a quarterback at all in fact I think it probably is worse so you know, and, and we've been saying it, if you listen to the official Colts podcast that we do every Tuesday, um, you know, we've all been saying it like, hey, this, yes, it is likely that the Colts take a quarterback, but it is not a guarantee. The only thing that, to me, that's guaranteed in this entire draft is that Carolina takes a quarterback. That's the only thing to me that is guaranteed in this draft. Not even Houston taking a quarterback at number two, because who knows if Houston likes only one of the quarterbacks in this year's draft and Carolina takes that guy and Houston goes, well, guess we'll take Will Anderson. You know, that, that is, that's a scenario that could happen yeah. too. So I, I think a lot of people get caught up in, well, this is the obvious thing that's going to happen, but the, it, there are no guarantees. We're still two and a half weeks out. And until, I mean, Shane Steichen even said it and, uh, at the owners' meetings in Arizona where he goes, I get people asking me all the time, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he's like, bro, I don't even know. I won't even know until 15 <laughs> minutes before the pick what we're going to do. Okay. Like, that, 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 and I know that's not a satisfying answer for anyone, but that is the reality of where the things stand with the Colts right now. J.J. Stakovitz with us here on the Fan Midday Show. And, J.J., a couple times you've referenced those owner meetings, and that's invaluable certainly for you reporters what what was kind of some of the key takeaways or just take us inside that experience when you were able to talk with owner Jim Ursay and others uh, for the few days out there uh, let me tell you the most interesting thing I got down there it wasn't from talking to uh, you know Jim Ursay or Chris Ballard or Shane Steichen I went around the coaches breakfast that they do uh, it's about 30 minutes long in the morning where all the all 32 coaches are are made available to the media, and I talked to Andy Reid, Ron Rivera, and Pete Carroll about Shane Steichen and just being a first year head coach. And I sat down with Ron Rivera and, and I asked him like, what what's something you wish you knew in year one as a head coach that you you know now? And the first thing he said, I didn't even have to prompt him, you know, say, hey, I'm with the Colts. He said, I wish I had a former head coach on my staff in my first year as a head coach. Mm. And who does Shane Steichen have on his staff? Gus Bradley, who is a former head coach. And that that presence of Gus Bradley, kind of the, this light bulb goes off of like, oh, yeah, that is really valuable beyond, you know, Gus being back in year two as a defensive coordinator and being able to build on what he built last year. Having Gus Bradley on this coaching staff for Shane Steichen to just pop over and say, hey, you know, this thing came across my desk. I don't really know what to do with it. Uh, what did you do with it when you were in Jacksonville? Having that 
presence on Gus Bradley or on Shane Steichen's staff in Gus Bradley to me is, is so important and is a, a really neat little nugget that I, I kind of picked up down there. And then hearing from Pete Carroll, uh, he, he told a story about his first year as a coach was with the New York Jets in 1994. And he said, you always got to know your audience of who's in the audience when you're speaking, because I guess he made a comment in his first team meeting uh, where the owner was present that the owner did not appreciate. And uh, I guess that made it easier for the owner to fire Pete Carroll after one season uh, with the Jets. And just, you know, like all those guys said, you know, being a first-year head coach in the NFL is hard. It's really hard. And you got to surround yourself with the right people. you got to have the right mentality to do it. And there are going to be things that come up that you, you've never seen before, you've never experienced before, and you've got to be able to weather the storm. But then having that, that person with experience who's been through it on your staff where you don't, you know, Shane Steichen won't need to go bother, you know, Nick Sirianni of like, hey, when we were in Philly, what, what did you do with this? Because Nick's going to have his own stuff to do. Um, that to me, that, that's really, really important and a really nice little benefit that Shane Steichen has this year. J.J. Stankovitz here with us on the Fan Midday Show. J.J., I want to zoom past the first round for a second and look at the other needs present on this team. Most of the consensus needs are cornerback and wide receiver. From the different analysts that we've talked to, most recently Charles Davis yesterday, the prevailing thought is that there is a relatively deep crop of cornerbacks in this draft Wide receiver, the other need. When you're looking at that, where are you personally ranking the you know assortment of you'd like to see drafted or, or the 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 capital that is invested in each of those positions in this draft? The, so I talked about this on the the official podcast yesterday, but the, you got to remember in the NFL draft that your needs today are not going to be your needs tomorrow. Sure. And you know, I went through and I looked at okay, who's going to be a free agent after this season? For the Colts. And, you know, you do have a couple of cornerbacks. You have Kenny Moore the second. You have Isaiah Rogers Sr. Both those guys are slated to be free agents if they don't get extensions before that. So, cornerback, obviously, but that was already going to be a need. Yeah. Because even if the Colts kept Stephon Gilmore, he was going to be a free agent after this season. So, cornerback to me is a pretty significant need. Wide receiver, you know, it, you would expect something to get done with Michael Pittman Jr., uh, you know, where he'll be on the team after this season. But, you know, that, that is another area of need. Um, but other, you know, there are some sneaky areas of need on this team. Uh, you know, you look at, and this, you're, you're talking about after the first round here. So, you know, running back, Jonathan Taylor, again, you expect something to get done there, but Zach Moss will be slated to be a free agent. Do you think about on maybe day three taking a, a you know, third down type running back guy can catch passes out of the backfield who's a good pass protector something along those lines that wouldn't totally shock me defensive tackle you're always looking for depth there Grover Stewart is slated to be a free agent after this season um, you know safety that's another interesting one uh, where you, you're looking at Roddy Thomas Julian Blackman and Nick Cross as kind of the three top guys on the roster right now so I don't think that this is where uh, you know, I know a lot of people expect the Colts to go corner wide receiver in, you know, on maybe day two, but I wouldn't necessarily pigeonhole them into that because, you know, last year you're looking at it, and it's like, well, tight end isn't a super significant need. You know, it was a need last year, and the Colts went ahead and took two tight ends last year in the draft. So you can, you can find different needs if you look beyond just the immediate ones, and that does open you up to saying, yeah, we, 
we need to take the best player available because we might need that guy. If not this year, we might need him after this year. Um, and that, that's a, a pretty st- uh, strong way to build out your roster. JJ, last thing from me. You mentioned earlier when you're looking at these mock drafts how it, it fascinates you when you see the ones where they don't go quarterback and you like to see the process that was made to not take a QB there. When you look at the state of the Colts roster from top to bottom and you look at these quarterback you know, general prospects you could have, whether it's Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, what scenario would play out where that would make sense for you, where maybe they, they are not taking a quarterback at four based on the mocks you've seen and based on the prospects you yourself scouted? Yeah, I mean, it would have to be that they're, the, the Colts view any of those top four quarterbacks, um, you know, when their pick is, when, when they go on the clock, if they, they look at those guys and they say, uh, you know, we have, we have this guy graded a lot lower than the fourth overall pick, you know, is, uh, and, and that's the only guy available, or there are two guys who are graded below that, and you have a guy sticking out on your board who you have rated as you know the highest of high prospect. Because you know Chris Pallard has always said, like, positional need is often a tiebreaker. I, I think it probably is a little bit more than that when it comes to quarterback, just because every team that doesn't have that franchise quarterback is constantly looking for one. But th- there is... You know, it's not an implausible scenario that the Colts say, you know, we don't really like any of these quarterbacks on the board when we pick, and we really like this other guy. So let's take the other guy. And then we also like some of these quarterbacks who could maybe be available, you know, later in the first round on day two, on day three, and think do they have enough upside that, okay, this is a decent plan. But again, the, the biggest thing there is if the Colts are sitting at four and say there are two quarterbacks available and the evaluation of those guys is that neither of them is really the right fit for us right now. If the Colts take that guy, that will, that, that could set this franchise back quite a bit because you know, you reach for that guy and you didn't really believe in him. And then if he comes in and he is who you think he is, which would probably be a flawed prospect, who you know maybe has some flaws that are, are not necessarily correctable. Um, that that's that's how you wind up you know going through the, the carousel, the young quarterback carousel almost, as opposed to the veteran quarterback carousel. I mean, look at the New York Jets where they they drafted yeah. Sam Darnold third overall in two thousand was that two thousand eighteen, and then two years later took Zach Wilson second overall, and now they're trading for Aaron Rodgers. That is not the situation you want to be in when you have a roster that otherwise you, you believe can be you know pretty solid. Um, you need to get the right quarterback. And again, it, if it means not taking a quarterback in the first round to get the right quarterback, that's what you do. Again, I, I still would, you know, if, if you had to say right now, what are the Colts are going to do? I would still probably say they take a quarterback. But I'm not saying that for sure. I'm not saying that's a guarantee kind of for what I was talking about earlier. JJ, appreciate the time and look forward to uh, more coverage here over the next couple of weeks. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Excellent insight there from JJ Stankovitz of Colts.com, Colts podcast, and a lot more. But as he was talking about that last point, Jimmy, I couldn't help but sit back and just continue to think about that 
the thought of, say the Colts don't go with a quarterback at four. Don't, again, to use my overused analogy, they don't step up to the plate and give one a try. What What is your fan going to think about that here? JJ, That'll be tough. JJ kind of put a cherry on top of what I was saying earlier and, and, and phrased it very cleanly and precise in that you don't take the risk of taking a quarterback there if you don't really believe in him because you could set the franchise back another five years. And I agree with him. Fans might not like it right away. And I know this is a fan base that wants hope and optimism. I, I get it. I do. Yep. But... It is arguably worse to take the swing on the guy just for taking the swing on the guy than it is to not take one at all. And if that is the evaluation that Chris Boward has for whichever prospect is available to them at four, there's a lot of things that have to go in there. It upsets the fan base because they want the quarterback now, but that's a decision that is only being made if everybody is on board or, and by everybody I mean Steichen, Ursay, and Boward, sure. or... If Ursay has given Bauer his blessing, I don't want to be involved in the operations. It is your decision. You're the general manager. I trust you. And that's a good example, too, here, Jimmy, why teams will create best available yeah. right list, how they rank them in their order, and then how they would draft that way. And so, for argument's sake, if they have Anthony Richardson 12 yeah. overall and Will Levis 18, you have to consider the value at a pick of four, and do you really go with positional need at 17, let's say, up to four, just to get your quarterback? Or do you say, hey, look, we could get the number one guy at this position, this position, this position, and that's the level you attack. So oh, so many so many debates, conversations, discussions that have to be held at the Colts complex and the 31 other complexes right now. I feel like we talk about it more so in the NBA, but... That best available sure. aspect you referenced there. You have needs. You want to address needs. If you feel that your need is not a massive difference maker and maybe a need you didn't have, like you feel like you have that answer, that particular position, but you feel like there's a generational talent available there, you take the generational talent. I think that that holds true almost with the exception of quarterback, yeah. just because of how important that becomes. To the better point, for example, is if there's an incredible offensive tackle or there's an incredible pass rusher, who's ranked higher, who has a higher ceiling, who are you more intrigued with, then I think if you already have one at that position, you don't overthink it. You draft the best player available. The difference, though, is quarterback. And, and it's because it's the most important position in the sport. It's because of how enticing it is. But you look at the it long... It changes everything. It does. You look at the long list of franchises, though, that have... And there is a long list of them. The Bears are on there. The Browns are on there. The Commanders are on there. The Jets are on there. Teams that have tried every which way to find the answer at QB, whether it's draft, whether it's Band-Aid. And they've either come up short or they've come up worse than they were before. This is tough for Colts fans to hear. There is a chance that you were bad the wrong year. It, it just it just happens. Sometimes the stars don't line up, and you had a bad year last year, and you think your reward at the end of the day is the answer at QB. I can't, if I am the general manager of the franchise, take a quarterback, even if the prevailing thought is it's time to take a swing. If you're bad the wrong year, and that QB is not a long-term option in your scouting report, you don't take him. Like I, I know no one wants to hear that. Yeah. I want the shiny new toy, too. If the shiny new toy is going to break in two years or is going to be a bust in two years, 
you don't do it. And that's tough. It's a tough sell. I get it. You rattled off those teams. I think the one we all, at least I think about first, is the Cleveland Browns jersey, where the list of quarterbacks extends to, think, the bottom of the back of the jersey. That's what you're trying to prevent here, but it's looking more and more like that. That's what they're trying to move on from because – you go past, what, the last eight years, a different starting quarterback, I think. This will be, different, presumably, a different starting quarterback on day one. Yeah. Or will be. Because yeah, it's either Gardner Minshew yeah. or this guy. The jersey's already growing in length. Correct. And you want it to stop yep. moving forward. This is the Fan Midday Show. That's Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison with us as well. I'm Scott Agnes. And... uh We'll have a lot more to come here over the final half an hour of the show. Earlier, Dan Purcell talking NBA just wrapped up with J.J. Stankovitz and got a couple more NBA playing games tonight. Not my favorite. We'll discuss that and a lot more on the other side. This is the Fan Midday Show. This is the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and Scott Agnes alongside Andy Garrison behind the ones and twos. Had our conversation with J.J. Stankovitz. Just a segment ago, that'll be up wherever you get your podcast, search the Fan Midday Show, as well as on 1075thefan.com. Dan Purcell earlier taking us through the NBA playoffs, the NBA play-in, and the current direction of the Indiana Pacers. Uh, one other thing I want to highlight in terms of our Colts conversation, and there wasn't a lot of room or time for debate or discussion with it with, with JJ, and again, appreciate him coming on, but the idea that either a competitor like DeForest Buckner or somebody in this locker room, I get it, you got to do what... You need to will yourself to get ready for the season. But the idea that this is anything but an active, ongoing rebuild, like if it wasn't last year, if you want to make the argument that last year was not a rebuild season, and you could, I guess, going into week one, you had Matt Ryan, you thought that perhaps he was going to turn back his clock, the offensive line was going to reach the old heights they were at a couple years ago, everything would click. Obviously, none of that happened. Like, not not one area other than the defense for a stretch could you hang your hat on. And now you look at this team where they are. This is not, we, we joked about it during the break, this is not a retool. This is, You have to be somewhere before you can retool, okay? This is an active rebuild where you're hoping that this is a one-year-off rebuild, right? That's why everybody wants to see the quarterback taken because the dream is take the young QB. If that's the case, you could you could say reload. <laughs> but the trouble is for me, it's it's absolutely termed a rebuild. You don't have the missing sure. ingredient. Sure. The number one missing ingredient, and I think we'd all admit too, there's several pieces away. Sure. This is not a plug and play and here we go. And I think four or five years ago, yeah, not so much now. No, no. I think entering last season, maybe the biggest problem was what the expectations were set at by the team. We were hearing Matt Ryan, missing piece, yeah. here we go, they're going to contend for an AFC championship, try to get to the Super Bowl. Contrast that. It was a mad lib, by the way. With the way the Pacers did yeah. it. And they're very different. Complete opposites. Pacers, meanwhile, invite a handful of media to come up and say, hey, we're going to need you this year. It's going to be some highs. There's going to be some lows. Please stick with us. Please understand the greater importance, the bigger picture in mind here. And I think I that will be something going into this upcoming season, after the draft, once we hit into July. Brickyard time, that kind of marks the start of yeah. the Colts season for me. I'll be very curious of what message Chris Ballard, Shane Steichen, and what the Colts are portraying and wanting out there because that sets the tone for the rest of the year. And you're going to have all these decisions that you're going to have to make next offseason. We obviously haven't brought them to the forefront right now because the bigger issue is 
this offseason and this season, obviously, but the NFL draft, what they're going to do there. But you're going to have contract decisions to make next year on Jonathan Taylor, on Michael Pittman Jr. Like These are all serious conversations that are going to be had within the front office. And in defense, I suppose, of Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce, I don't know how much of a leap you're going to get from Gardner Minshew, but you could make a case that they have not been able to truly shine the way you'd like them to because of who's been under center the last couple of years. And again, Alec Pierce, definitely not fair to make that observation because he's only been in the league for one season of football. But Michael Pittman Jr. still was able to shine and show the type of weapon he can be despite the band-aid after band-aid's been put on this team. I still, again, I need another leap from him this season before I'm ready to confidently say he is a go-to number one option on a contending franchise. I know they're not in that language yet, but that's no. what they want to be. I need another leap from him. Hopefully Minshew and the quarterback selection they make is able to do that, and then you can have a comfortable conversation of, yes, let's extend Michael Pittman Jr. I think back of Alec Pearson, his rookie season, and I'm not sure what to make of it because he he experienced the most unusual first year in the NFL, right? Three different yeah. quarterbacks, the highs, the <laughs> lows, the I mean, he probably wasn't sure what what was going on and should he speak up and he probably felt like he had no place and then you have no continuity because he worked out in the offseason with Matt Ryan catching passes from him. And it's and one of the, the hardest positions in general correct. to master right out of the gate as and a rookie. How important yeah. is yeah. timing, continuity, comfortability? And we, we hear those elite quarterbacks talk about it all the time. When they have that connection, it's something special. A wink, a nod, a touch of their hip can mean something to a guy that they can, they just know one each other's thought patterns and, and that experience. I, I truly believe Peyton and Marvin could probably read each other's minds out on the field. Right. Like, you see that? Nod. I see that too. Go do it. Whatever that was. And so I, I'm looking forward to some big things from Alec Pierce. Now that, one, he knows the, the schedule, the experience, what it's like to be an NFL player, that's now all behind him. Now he can really lock in on whomever the quarterback is and try to s- establish something. And by the way, now he's got a new coach, a third different head coach that he's heard in, yes. in less than a year. That in itself is not easy. And you're able to now fully have an offseason starting this week and maybe even earlier than that, depending on the conversation that has been had between player personnel and coaches, but you are having now a full off season to fully take advantage of learning and studying the concepts, the play designs, exactly what in theory, and I say in theory, all jokes aside, this is, this is just a joke, but in theory, you're going to have a full year of continuity with one singular voice as your head coach this year. Unlike the chaos, the rare chaos, you hadn't had something like that happen ever in the Colts, uh, at least since they've been in Indianapolis. Now you have a year back to continuity, back to learn that offense, back to get a feel for what your role is, and whether your expectation bar is placed on Gardner Minshew or whether it's placed on the rookie quarterback they presumably drafted for, that's going to give a good growth opportunity for the entire receiver room. I still want to see one more weapon, though, taken in the draft. And to that point, that's why I think it was huge that Reggie Wayne came back. Yep. I I've, I would assume he was a split decision. Like, last year had to be uncomfortable, I'm had sure. to be difficult. Only reason... He said he came back was for Frank Reich, and then his guy is out. And, you know, obviously he has that intimate relationship with that organization, and and I'm glad that's not going anywhere. But for Alec Pierce, for Pittman, so huge that a Hall of of Fame-type guy and a guy that meant so much to this franchise and is getting his feet wet a little bit with coaching is staying in that room. That's at least one level of consistency. And you could tell at least from just what he said to the media and what he's put on 
social media in his own right. He sent a picture yesterday we talked about of that wide receiver room. He wants to make a lasting impact as a coach within this franchise, particularly in the wide receiver room, adding to the legacy of just top-tier wide receivers that they've had over the last two eras of Colts football. And for me, look, anytime anybody, whether it's in your day-to-day job, whether it is in the world of sports, whatever the case may be, if you have something that you want to prove and you want to be a part of it and you want to try to grow a specific culture of one wing of your industry, of your profession, or in this case of a wide receiver room, I'm very excited to see what the end result is because you're exactly right, Scott. You have an opportunity to pen the mind of a Hall of Famer like that, to be able to just, I don't know, get the flow of what this new culture is going to be there's reason for optimism for Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce. Unfortunately, they're not able to prove anything. Nobody on this roster is able to prove anything still for another, oh, what is it? Yeah, five months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yet the conversations yep. continue on and, and with all of that. And so, yeah, that very curious to see what these next couple of weeks are like for this Colts team, who they bring in, who they go and see. At this point, I would expect they kind of have the binder full of info. Now it's parsing through it. Now it's creating that draft board, erasing names, shuffling names, gathering more intel. That's probably the level at which they're at here as they try to finalize it and probably start holding their own little mock drafts of what might happen. And JJ brought up this as well over the course of our conversation with him, JD Stegovitz of Colts.com a little bit earlier, where I've talked about this jokingly, but he said it in a very serious tone, and it's true. It shouldn't just be joked about. You never know if a franchise like the Texans is going to galaxy brain the whole thing and decide, (laughs) you know what? We really only like one of Young or Stroud. And yeah, it's a great point. What if they do take Will Anderson Jr.? Now, I won't say wasted because it's been fun conversations, but now the entire conversations we've had just on the fan midday show alone of who do you take, Levis or Richardson? If all of a sudden Bryce Young's there at four, like if that happens, that reshifts, maybe not for the front office because they're interviewing everybody. You joked earlier about why are you working out this guy or this guy or this guy, and you stressed, well, because you never know what's going to happen. Nope. But it changes our outlook on things if all of a sudden one of the, on my board anyway, top two QBs, falls down to four if the Texans decide to do something wild. And then all of a sudden, instead of us talking about historic one, two, three, four for the first time ever, four QBs off the board, now it's only one quarterback went, the Colts are here at four, and they have a pick of three prospects. Would you agree that if Arizona does not trade out of its pick, if they keep it, it will not go one, two, three, four? Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. That Arizona makes perfect stays, sense, yeah, right? Yeah, no, but it, it seems like... they'd be more opportune to trade that, maximize that value of that pick if a player is available that another team would like. If you're the Cardinals, I'm licking my chops at the prospect of the Texans not taking a quarterback because, that's again, that's an interesting point by J.J. I would agree. The Panthers are taking a QB. That's set in stone. I still think if you made me give you what I thought on the Texans, they're probably going to take a QB too. They'd be silly not to. I agree. But if they don't, the Cardinals' whole front office is erupting in cheers because now it's no longer having to coax people or get Adam Schefter to to stir the rumor mill up. It uh-huh. is this is a guy that has been talked about as maybe best of the class in a Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. What do you guys want for him? What do, what do you want for the opportunity and to draft him? That's probably the best example of why, outside of the number one pick, which then you know who you can right. draft, why you sit on that pick and wait until draft night to see how things unfold before potentially moving it because you certainly don't want to undervalue that. No, I mean, you can't. And and that's the importance of having 
the board kind of set up when the combine's done. And we've talked about that over the course of the day of not really having your board shift because Will Levis had a uh, sandwich from Chick-fil-A the other day instead of a burger from McDonald's, right? You're not you're not letting that kind of stuff influence you. Obviously, injury reports or, or anything that happens in the lead up to the draft, that can impact things. But right now, we're in due diligence mode. We are in this mock draft season that mm-hmm. two and a half weeks from now, less than that, actually. In fact, it'll be two weeks from tomorrow night. We're going to have an answer to this equation. And for me, while it is still Anthony Richardson, every draft, it feels like there's a curveball at some point. And if that happens, you light the mock drafts on fire, you buckle your seatbelt, and you await to see exactly how the board plays out for the Colts. Kansas City, man. That's the side of everything. Yep. I'm jealous. <laughs> jealous. You should go. Yeah, logistically. Can't we put the station, get you a remote set up, and uh, get you out there to host things? I'll let you talk to higher ups so that we, we, we can see what can happen there, but something tells me we'll be, we'll be right Boots here. Boots on the ground the reporting there. Hey. Considering the Colts have the fourth pick, it would be reasonable. There's momentum if there. If they're like 12th or 18th, yeah. Eh, yeah. I'm good. But at four... I think it's a worthy cause for you to try to escalate. There's a conversation to be had. Maybe I can have some Q39 after all. That's Scott Agnes. I'm Jimmy Cook. Still to come, we're going to hand out some bets, both on, well, potentially on the MLB slate, but definitely in the play-in tournament tonight. Maybe Eddie and I will go back, and I'll try to finally get a win on the I should have did it You should have gave him an opportunity to take. We'll go into what that bet was when we come back and hand out, hopefully, some winners for you here on a Wednesday on the Fan Midday Show, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show, 2.49 in the afternoon. A a glorious day outside. I know for sure I'm getting out to enjoy the weather. I hope you do as well as we wrap up this Fan Midday Show. It's time for Jay Cook's Plays of the Day. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, going to take the under 227 points on Oklahoma City at New Orleans Pelicans. I wanted to play both just to get behind this under trend on the play-in. Do but the, it. But the but the, the over-under for the Raptors and the Bulls is like 212, and I just can't I can't get behind that. You don't like data. I don't like data. Eight I mean, games I do in like a row. Data, but, but I got behind one. I'm split. <laughs> I'm split on data. I'm split on data there. Yeah, so I'm going to take you. the under of 227 for Thunder and Pellies. Also going to scoop five and a half. That's right, Eddie. That's right, Eddie. No hook there. No buying the hook. Just going to take plus five and a half I'm, on the I'm, Oklahoma City Thunder tonight. I'm about to cry. Against the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm, I'm sure you're very happy with that. Uh, Bulls Raptor is going to take over 15 and a half for OG and Anobi. Also going to take the Los Angeles Angels on the money line over the Washington Nationals. And then I'm going to say, and we'll see if Eddie wants to back the other side or not, the streak ends at, what is it now, 11? Streak ends at 11. Taking the Boston Red Sox plus money there, plus 105 to beat the Tampa Bay Rays this afternoon or this evening, rather. One and two yesterday puts it three and five on the week. Looking for a nice bounce back today for the plays. Eddie, anything you'd like? Uh, I will say if they're going to lose, like in the reasonably near future, it would be today. Zach Efline was the projected starter, was scratched yesterday, put on the injured list. Now they're starting Taj Bradley. He's a really good up-and-coming pitcher for them, but I'd be worried about that bullpen being used too long. He hasn't topped 60 pitches in an outing yet uh, this season. I like all your MLB plays today. I can't really debunk any of them. The only one I would be nervous about again is 
Uh, the Angels, Mackenzie Gore has been really good so far for the Nationals' former top prospect uh, with the uh, who was that with the Padres, and they got traded in that Juan Soto deal. But uh, the only play for me tonight that I have as of right now, Josh Giddy under eighteen and a half points for mm. Oklahoma City. I like the defensive matchup uh, when you kind of pre- predict things here. I think. C.J. McCollum will be on Lou Dort just because Dort's primarily a slasher or a spot-up shooter. And then when you look at Josh Giddy, he scores a lot on the inside. So I'm expecting Trey Murphy to be on him to prevent um, Giddy from getting inside toward the basket. I think the game slows down a little bit too, typically does in the playoffs. So that'll kind of restrict a little bit of Josh Giddy's offensive production. Like those bets, Scott, in terms of playing tonight. I know you're not placing bets, but you have a rooting interest one way or the other with how these games play out. Well, for one, I'm rooting for the under. I want the the number to cons- to continue, make it ten in a row. And by the way, you talk about this one. What'd you say? Two twenty seven for this matchup. Yep. Three of the four games this season went hard under. Pelicans won the first three. OKC took the last one. But look at these scores: one hundred five, one hundred one, one twenty eight, one twenty five. But it took overtime. 103-100, and then 110-96. So based off that data, you got to roll with with that hard under, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I really like OKC. I do. All right. Yeah, I, I'm thinking Toronto OKC. Okay. All right. I'm not a fan like uh, Dan was telling us about Chicago. As he started <laughs> off, he was like, Chicago this season. He's looking for something. I was like, yeah, we get it. I appreciate exactly. it. Yeah, but- they're due to blow it up. So I'd roll with Toronto and OKC. One question I want to ask you as we're kind of wrapping things up here, and this is outside of the betting realm, but more so just the outlook of what happens within the Pacers' own division. I, I-, I take a peek at what has gone on with Detroit over the last couple of years. Sure. You look at Jay Nivey there and how he, you know, he he did flourish. It, you know, there were struggles, but he flourished at times for the Pistons. Obviously no Cade Cunningham this past season, but you would hope that you're able to have him back next year. And then the Pistons, even though that might not have been what they wanted to do this year, being in prime position to win the lottery and potentially have Victor Wambanyama in division and, and in a rival because Detroit. they need another big guy right exactly <laughs> but let's if we play it out like that sure and he ends up there i know i'm kind of putting you on the spot in that regard but but, but how, how would he mesh with a team like detroit if you're having envy here as a pacers fan of yeah you lose a lottery but he they end up winning it does detroit and when with pissing. victor oh man it's fascinating because i look at a a three-man punch there with Ivy, with Cunningham, and then Victor. And on top of that, I think Bogey, Boyan Bogdanovich, the former Pacers under contract, for at least one more year, I think right away they at least become relevant. Because now Detroit, who I'm guessing had two national TV appearances this year, probably probably has 25 purely because of that. So they they got a King's ransom, though. Do you think they would – do you think they'd consider trading it? I don't think any any team should. Really? I think this is a LeBron. This is a – this is that level of a talent that completely shifts what your franchise is able to do for roughly the next nine years. I'm in the minority here. I I'm cons- I just get worried about guys that are seven four. Yeah, you worry about the feet. You worry about the back. You worry, worry about, about injuries. The knees, the ankles. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like Chet Holmgren, he's already got the foot problem, and he hadn't even played a single game. To clarify that one, though, like there's no comparisons to Victor and Chet. I, mean, I, I, I agree, there, but, but I mean, in terms of size, we're Chet talking, is like the closest. You're to talking it. build. You're not talking even skill set. Yeah, just no, right, build, right. build, completely. Holding yeah. Up. yeah, and so I think those are obvious concerns. But this is one of those where I don't think you overthink it. You go and you make the draft pick, and you are thrilled. 
You sell immediately another 5,000 season tickets. You can't keep up with the jersey demands of people trying to buy those. No, this is a franchise-altering move, and that's why, especially the final three weeks of the season, you saw so many teams wanting to get on, in on that parade. But to your point, Jimmy, I think, I think it makes them really interesting about what they're trying to do next season. Probably a playoff team. The, At least in that conversation. The rel- I think he lifts him that much. The relevancy to your point and the idea of, of national eyeballs on him. Uh, this was tweeted out uh, from uh, Basket Infos earlier today. Just looking at type of influence on social media from video views of all the players in the world top 10 right at the 8th slot with 350 million views over the course of the NBA season on NBA Social went to Wembenyama. The eyeballs are going to be there. It's going to be a healthy dose of whichever team he ends up within the national spotlight just because of all the buzz that's there. Just look at the numbers that his his games over in France did. For I mean, sure. Yeah. And by the way, the fact that they were even doing that. The NBA is not stupid. Oh, yeah. They're televising those for free. Yeah. That's why I do laugh a little bit about should you penalize teams at the end for tanking. The NBA was streaming their game, his <laughs> games. Of course teams wanted it. Yeah. And they promoted this amateur as much as anyone. Or I guess he was playing professional basketball. Right. It was just over there. So right. uh, they're just as guilty as anyone of wanting him to be successful and very curious to see what he looks like and how immediately he can make that big a difference. But um, that's that's the number one thing here. It's just can the Pacers jump into the top four? Highly unlikely, I think, now. And they didn't help themselves there with that last win. This was the Fan Midday Show. Earlier today, Dan Purcell joined us at 1 o'clock. J.J. Stankovich, you can listen to all of that on the podcast as well. Appreciate you tuning in here for Eddie Garrison and Jimmy Cook. This is Scott Agnes on the Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.